into one more, one last week of The Last of Us Part 2 here on Normandy FM. Kenneth Shepard, we finally did it. We did. We we got here. We played through all of them. I, I Eric Van Allen, never thought we could. Never thought we'd be here at this point, you know. There were times in the middle where I wasn't sure we were going to make it. We're here. We are truly The Last of Us now. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joining us for the build-up to that really bad joke is, once again, Natalie Flores. We couldn't, could not bring you on, Nat. Come on. Hey, what's up? I haven't been here in, like, a few weeks. What's yeah. up? <laughs> <laughs> got the book in the show. First time everyone has ever got to do that. Yeah. It's an honor to be here to talk about one of my favorite games ever. Um, this, this is going to be super apparent. We kind of just kind of gosh a lot. And mm-hmm. go on about how much we love this game. So get ready, everyone. It's going to be a great time. Yeah, Ken planned this in case I didn't like The Last of Us Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> how loud can we speak over him? <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you, Ken. I like this game. Uh, but yeah, I guess maybe that's the best way to start this off is like we have now played through all of The Last of Us Part 2. I have seen this Ooh. game from start to finish. Uh, and how are you while, feeling, like, Eric? I... It's interesting, you know, I I spent most of this last week because I played Santa Barbara almost immediately after we got done recording mm. for last last week's episode. So I've had a while to kind of like just think on all of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's honestly like the weirdest thing about part two compared to part one is like part one you know, the impact was immediate. And I was like, wow, that was an ending. And like, Mm -hmm. I just really had to sit, you know, I was like, that was really something that was, that was really incredible. And and then I kind of like moved on and part two has been something that I have just kept thinking about afterwards and kept mulling over and kept considering different things. And I think overall, um, I, I said earlier this week, um, I was talking with, with some friends and, and we were talking about like what the best PlayStation 4 exclusives were and like what's the best game to like showcase your PlayStation 5 and all that. And my answer for both of them was like if we're talking first party alone, I think it is The Last of Us Part 2. Like I... So true, bestie. I mm-hmm. think this is honestly the game and I've played, you know, I've played God of War. Um, I bounced off of Horizon Zero Dawn uh, I bounced off of Ghost of Tsushima. Um, this game is just something that I've just kept thinking about. I don't know that that necessarily means it's better than part one in my mind, but like we talked about last week, last week's conversation also got me thinking a lot because I was like, well, what does good and bad even mean <laughs> in this context? Is that even like a useful way to talk about this game when it's trying to do something that's just very different and and interesting so um yeah like right. I'm, I'm not gonna say it's it's perfect or anything but i do think this has been one of the more like rewarding triple a games i've i've played recently definitely in terms of like something i can critically talk about something mm-hmm. that i can like really sink my teeth into and think about and not just be like boy i sure did love doing all that open world stuff and all that <laughs> with, with so many other like big games these days this one i like actually had a lot that i'm still thinking about at this point so yeah no i but i like part two a lot uh and i'm sure yeah. i don't need to ask y'all about how much you like last of us part two but that <laughs> you can start us off 
Yeah, I mean, what you're talking about, I think it's because it's such an ambitious game in terms of its storytelling in general, I would say so. But in terms of its storytelling, um, and, and it's to the credit of the game that you're still thinking about it and mulling it over, especially as a games journalist, right? Like you are someone whose job is to play something, move on, or try to play something, then you have to hop off to handle something else, and then you can come back to it. Um, but the fact that you're still thinking about it, even as you, you know, move on with like the cadence of the job and the rhythm, um, I think just says a lot about the story and its impact uh i would say that i think it's because it's a messy game i mm. it's like you said the the impact of the first one is it's very clean we're talking about just like joel and ellie and there is you know depth and nuance to joel's character and his motivations for why he does what he does at the end but overall it's something that you understand pretty easily uh this is a lot more ambitious it's concentrated on four mm -hmm. to five maybe six if you're counting characters and they're all very messy people with very messy dynamics mm -hmm. um joel and ellie's dynamic was a complicated uh, father-daughter relationship but that's what it was um here you have so many dynamics at play and so many people whose ugliness you have taken a journey to see um mm. and you understand uh, hopefully i mean i think the game does a great job at letting you understand that ugliness maybe not agreeing with it necessarily but i i think it's it's hard to say if if the last of us part two works for you then by the end i think it's really hard to not understand why characters do the things that they do and how they turn out and mm -hmm. Yeah, I just think it's it's a messy game, um, and I adore that messiness. I adore that complexity. Yeah. Uh, I just the way that it makes me think about the characters involved and just the reasons that they do what they do. I think it it deserves a lot of credit for really being. I, I do think it is an empathetic game, and mm. that it really showcases as much as it can. Um, the stories of these people, why these people have turned out the way that they are, and what that means for their futures. So, I yeah, I I would attribute that to the messiness of this game, and mm. it is something that I love about it. It is my favorite thing about it. Yeah. Ken, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all things you're saying, and I think it is, you know, its willingness to like fit with that messiness is, I think, a lot of the reasons all, the game also just does not click mm -hmm. with a lot of people. And I think, as I said last week, I think that some people can come away with it feeling so markedly different than other people. Mm -hmm. like, I think speaks to mm -hmm. its strengths more than it is like a sort of universal weakness of yes. this game. And I think, and a lot of it just comes down to, to your like it is a game about perspective, and it is like it is on you and your perspective to kind of like. Suss out what you, what you think all of this means and whether you think the uh, the getting there is worth it. Because I, I do get why some people kind of get through this and it's like, what was, what was the point of all of, all of this, this carnage and all of this, all of the, as you said, this messiness. And um, I get that. But I also, I, I guess I am just more, more inclined to kind of see why the messiness, messiness was happening and what the fact that it all kind of, 
it, it does eventually stop. Like, what, what does it mean for all of that to stop? What does it mean for all that pain to, and that pain to stop? And who we're playing as when it happens? And yeah, so I just think it's a, a very intentionally complex, divisive, and kind of antagonistic game in a way that works for me. But I also get why it would not work for some people. So I found it to largely like I I, I was talking a lot in the last couple weeks that we had because we were approaching an end and I knew that there was an end coming that I was like, I wasn't sure what this game was really trying to be about and what it, you know, like even when we were in, let's say like fall of last of us part one, I, I had a pretty solid grasp of what that game was trying to do. It was like, here's the relationship between, Joel and Ellie, here's how they're going to grow together, here's what's going to kind of forge their relationship and make it solid and and bring it to the point that when Joel is faced with this decision, that he would make this choice. And I actually think like there's a really cool scene in Last of Us Part Two that like reaffirms some of that thematically, that like it is the story of how somebody can care to how how somebody ends up coming to care for somebody else that much. Mm-hmm. Um, that that they're willing to do those things for them, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, so in that way, I think like Last of Us Part Two, where I kind of ended up was that this is to me like a game about grief mm-hmm. and a game about like yeah. dealing with grief, you know, right. and and, mm-hmm. and the ways in which we we grapple with that because it can eat away at you, and as we see when we pick up Santa Barbara, which is, I mean, literally just pretty much a, a flash cut from the end of Abby's day three to this section uh, where we have Ellie now apparently living in this, this homestead, this, this little farm that, that she and Dina have. Um, you can't always get rid of your grief that easily. And if you don't find ways to let it out, um, it's going to start eating you up inside. And I think that's ultimately where, like, this is this is where the game, like, started to kind of show its cards for me and be mm. like, hey, this is kind of what we're trying to be about. And it's not just like, you know, like we talked about last week, it's not just, ooh, violence bad. You right. know, <laughs> like, don't mm-hmm. you feel bad for violence? It's like so, so many people in this, you know, world are are grieving all the time because this is a world that is falling apart around them and how do you cope with that and Mm -hmm. how do you like how do you learn how to cope with that especially in a world that just you know violence is always the answer in just about every circumstance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and ellie never really learns does she (laughs) um or maybe you could say she learns but it's a little too late in some circumstances but Mm. um when when we come to, I mean, not even come to, I mean, so we were talking before this podcast started <laughs> because one of the first things we see when, you know, we're in Santa Barbara uh, is, is Ellie's looking over uh, Joel's watch. So she still has it. Um, mm-hmm. And then she goes over to a crib and picks up a baby uh, who, as obviously confirmed by when we go downstairs and see Dina down there, this is... Dina's kid, Dina and and Jesse's baby, um, named JJ, or as Ellie affectionately calls him, Potato. (laughs) (laughs) um, We we got into a whole thing before the podcast started about 
trying to gauge how long it is between this section and the end of Last of Us or, or the end of day three, uh, just purely by guessing how old <laughs> JJ might be. <laughs> and it was really something else. I'm I am standing by like I think it's been two, three years. I don't think it's been <laughs> I don't I don't think it's been like if if y'all if y'all have no legit if y'all have like some some evidence some Phoenix Wright shit to pull here please do so because okay, Eric my question to you is when was the last time you saw a baby in person it was the last time I saw a baby in person this would have been I'm crying 20, I'm like actually crying. 2019 like pre pandemic okay well I have I have a niece you've held with, you've held a baby recently yeah she is about a okay. year old now like eleven or uh, no as like a baby the, holding yeah, expert as, who has seen a baby JJ's big. Like, yeah, but I think he's, he's like, chunky. He's like, he's like a he's a chunky baby, but he's also like I would say he's about a, like a year max. A year max. So okay, would, so not so not like two years old, like what I'm thinking. No, absolutely okay. not. Okay. <laughs> okay. This That's, is on you for deciding to reveal this. We weren't no, going to say anything. It's okay. I it's wasn't okay. going to say anything. This I was closing my if mouth. Anything, and I think it's like, good podcast content. But <laughs> I then then my next thing that I would say is they got this farmhouse set up real quick because like as we get a little time to explore around this farmhouse with Ellie and the apparently younger than I thought JJ. <laughs> um, <laughs> The this this whole this whole farmhouse area is established. Like they've got they've got a herd. They 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 straight up have a herd of little. I mean, sheep. how many hobbies can you get yeah. in the post-apocalyptic what, what world? Can you call them hobbies when it's the thing that keeps you alive? No, but it's but it's like what uh, what other stuff are they gonna do besides like I don't know like you know cuddle and kiss and do all those things and then like build their their love nest farm. I guess. There's there's so many other questions that accompany this too. Like, where did you get all the intact furniture? Did you get it from Jackson? Where did you get all these very healthy abundance of sheep and cows in the post-apocalyptic world? Like, that people haven't farmed and eaten. So, (laughs) there's like an implication. So, there's an implication, I think, that they did take stuff from Jackson Mm -hmm. because we do have a letter from... Uh, from Jackson that's basically like, hey, you know, we're we're happy you came to see us. It's from Dina's parents, I think, right? I think that's uh, from uh, Jesse's, Jesse's parents. Yeah. Jesse's, Jesse's oh, parents. it's from Jesse's parents, right, right. Um, no, the I think Dina's, Dina's parents are dead. Yeah, no, I was thinking of, <laughs> I was thinking of Dina's sister because I was thinking of the aunt. She's the, also the, dead. The picture. I know, I know. Hey. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get there This now. is a mess. <laughs> um no i'm just god this is like i've got like two kens on this podcast (laughs) yeah yeah you do (laughs) this is terrible you Um, already knew this was gonna happen (laughs) yeah i should have known this was coming uh so yeah no like they've got a bunch of stuff there and you know obviously a lot of it was probably already there because you know, people are mm-hmm. gonna loot stuff like you know alcohol and duct tape and shit like that. But it's not like someone's walking into a house and coming back out. It's like, yo, guys, I found a couch. <laughs> like, let's get this couch out of right. here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, like I, I just kept thinking about like, where do you find 
I, seeds probably came from Jackson, but where do you get like a herd of sheep? And it's like not a, it's not a small number of sheep. You know, it's not like three or four sheep. It's like a lot of sheep, like enough to have to herd them back into the barn and have like grazing and stuff like that. How do you feed that many sheep? Where are you getting the feed from? I don't. Know, I got a lot of mm-hmm. questions. <laughs> <laughs> so many questions. Um, and they have like a nice little garden. They got like some squash and stuff. They're doing some canning. I noticed that there was, uh, I thought this was really, once again, Eric like hyper fixated on the world building of the house itself and, and not on the salient plot details. But, um, they, they had a shelf in the laundry room and it had some like normal cleaning supplies, like what you would get at like a walmart or something like that and also like little mason jars that just said like cleaning solution on them and stuff so i was like oh that's so they got some that they know how to use but they're also learning how to make their own so they can be self-sufficient that's nice i like that it's a nice little touch um it's it's again I'm like, glad you I, paid attention to that <laughs> what's up <laughs> <laughs> this is tupperware all over again uh, <laughs> but, um i like stuff like that i like areas like this because not Mm. only is it like okay for once in this game we've had two moments really in this game where we are not in the middle of you know infected war zone and we've had time to just kind of walk around a place where hey like people live here and and see what that looks like uh but i think it does add a lot in terms of just establishing you know like what these characters have been doing without just outright telling you what Mm. they've been doing. Um, You know, it does give us this room to kind of imagine, you know, Ellie and Dina coming out here and building all this stuff and uh, developing these systems, you know, like, like learning how to farm. Like Dina has a bunch of different books on stuff like that, like baby care and stuff like that. So you can like really, really see how it all came together. And meanwhile, Ellie, like Dina's very much like bought into this, you know, homestead idea, this farmhouse idea, mm-hmm. and has totally slid right into it. And she like, we jumped from just a traumatic day three to her like humming and singing in the kitchen and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously there is supposed to be a time skip as shown by by the baby, but uh, for Ellie there really hasn't been a time skip, let's say. And that's mm-hmm. that's evidenced both by, I, I think, the fact that, you know, where you see Dina has a bunch of stuff about, you know, learning how to farm and how to take care of the baby and all that kind of stuff. Ellie's stuff is still very much, like, the things she just enjoys doing. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she still just has a bunch of comics and does comic art and just paints a bunch and stuff. And, and she really seems to just kind of be you know, into her stuff. And then it, it doubles up when you know, they, uh, as, as you're herding all these sheep into the barn, uh, Ellie has a bit of an episode and uh, flashes back to, to Joel and to the hallway and to all this, all this stuff that, you know, she has not really ever gotten over, I think. Um, no. And that's kind of the, the crux of what we see here is is that Ellie maybe has not gotten over what happened, you know, it, over mm. the course of Last of Us Part Two up to now. You know, has not gotten over Joel's death, has not gotten over Seattle, and Dina has been trying to. Right. And uh, 
I, th I think at this point, do we have the journal entries as well that, that that's talk a, about this? We have to talk to Tommy first because it's that's that night when we go looking in Ellie's little office room and find the mm -hmm. uh, like mm -hmm. journal entries that like she's basically just had like been struggling with PTSD for the past however long and it can be sparked mm -hmm. by shit like she, she was hunting a boar and the boar like you know in in pain like cried out and it started to remind her of Joel mm -hmm. and. Like Jesse's parents came to the barn and they were like, "Hey, what do y'all think about coming back to Jackson?" And then that immediately like sends Ellie off into like the woods and like she doesn't want to even consider that. And that was something that we, I think we mentioned uh, a couple of episodes into the Seattle stuff where we were like, they never really talk about like maybe Ellie feels like the compulsion to do this because she can't be in Jackson where she's having all these memories about stuff. And so like they illustrate there that like she was that was probably like core of like one of the reasons like she was totally down to like come and have this you know this farm life and you know far away from Jackson at least distance enough that like she doesn't have to like you know live in the shed behind Joel's house right right mm -hmm. um yeah so so we get some insight into that and all that and then of course what comes knocking but the plot you know <laughs> Tommy shows up and hey Tommy's not dead hey not only how the fuck yeah. <laughs> it like how is he alive like, I, I wouldn't watch the, the like the, the shot of him getting shot and like it does pretty much go like it, the shot kind of like grazes his eye and so it's like maybe doesn't hit anything like man know, like, that man took a beating like imagine getting, just like getting kicked the shit out of you by abby mm -hmm. like i'm dead bro like <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting up from there, but like, Got I was just kind of like, why, why are you alive? But like, he is also not doing too hot. Like, he's yeah, um, clearly like suffered some like motor function damage from mm -hmm. yeah. when he got shot. He took yeah. an arrow to the knee. You know, he yeah. used to be a warrior. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh uh, I've been sitting on that one for like a week. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Tommy's here. Um, and there's already kind of some tension in the air when, you know, Ellie is coming back from a hunt and has, uh, some rabbits and stuff and is, is, I, I think it's also some interesting storytelling that she's kind of like almost bracing herself to go back in to mm. the farmhouse. And that's even before she knows that Tommy is there, right. but you can, I, I think there's a very easy way to draw in that, like. Ellie probably enjoys just going out into the woods and being alone a yeah. lot. Um, but as, as we walk up, uh, we see a horse is tied up and uh, Ellie obviously recognizes it and notes that. And we, Dina meets us at the door and it's just kind of like, Hey, just go inside. You'll see who it is. And it's Tommy. And yeah, he's, he's kind of beat up and scarred still. And uh, you know, they, they do the small talk, you know, they mm -hmm. kind of chat and mm -hmm. then Tommy gets down to business and, and says that. Well, one, th one, one thing worth, worth noting is that uh, he does say that he and Maria are separated, which was like, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah very yeah. sad yeah. to me. Um, I think that I think that will make sense when yeah. he explains before, the, what he's, before, yeah. the, before he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he sits down and says that he's still been putting out feelers and and talked to a merchant who traded with some uh or or somebody who traded with uh a very strong woman and a very small boy uh out near California. Um <laughs> built like an ox running with a kid with scars across his face. Mm. Um 
everyone everyone when they try to describe Abby is just like big. Big, <laughs> big arms. Big. big gal, a strong gal, large arms, uh crushing biceps. <laughs> I can love it. You don't hear women being described like that ever. Like yeah. wood built like an ox. Like just small things, but they're really fucking cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Abby's great. Uh, again, so I, great. I said it last week. I'll say it again. I think Abby is honestly probably my favorite the best character, character in, in this game. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, with Lev. Abby and Lev together. Yeah. Um, so good. But, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, we're, we just kind of ruminate on that for a second. And then Dina's like, nah, nah, we're, we're, we're done with that. Mm-hmm. And here's where we get to see the dynamic play out a little bit because, uh, you know, Ellie kind of plays like the no, no, I shouldn't and stuff and bashful. Like, she, no, she shuts it's, down. it's not. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of like goes quiet and doesn't really address anyone or anything. And Dina's very much like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> and, no. uh, and Tommy, oh my God, is like guilt tripping Ellie and Dina. He's into being very like, manipulative no. here. And like, I, I got it. You know, like he's at a. He's in a difficult position where, like like he says, I can't go. So the only person left to do it who would do it is you. And it's just such a difficult position to be in. Like, I, as much as I don't like Tommy, like, I understand. I, I don't think his intention is to be manipulative explicitly, but it's also like you are just severely guilt-tripping Ali right. and not letting her find peace because you also can't find peace. And... Mm-hmm, right. You know, I, I get it. I get it. He's like, it's like the way to honor Joel and to preserve mm-hmm. his memory. Like, how do you preserve the memory of someone who has died in a world where people are constantly dying in the most mm-hmm. violent of ways, where death is so much more normal right. um, than it is in our current world? And it's like, well, I get it. But yeah. it's it's just tough to watch that scene because right. you, you can see why he feels like this you can see why he came all the way here but it's like ellie doesn't she deserves to to have some peace but obviously she she has also not she she shuts down because she knows that he is touching on the things that she Mm -hmm. has been desperately trying to you know like you said eric um Mm -hmm. dina is uh you know she has books on farm life and whatnot but ellie is very much concentrated on uh, escapism and mm-hmm. like she has her whole little office where she's just surrounded by comics and the posters of the bands that she liked mm-hmm. and where she can draw Dina and JJ and she has her comic books um, but she is not able to to evolve with them I, I think and we'll get to this in a bit but just like like Dina tells her later on like you think this is easy like it's not easy Mm -hmm. for either of them but dina is able to face things head on while Mm -hmm. ellie sort of withdraws into herself and into what is safe and obviously Mm -hmm. they both have very different experiences but yeah it's just really interesting to see those different dynamics at play yeah i think the other thing about tommy that is kind of sad to think about is because like at the end of day three like that 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 dynamic was flipped like Tommy was like, we have to yeah, go, and yeah, you have to yeah. be okay with it. Is this okay? And then Ellie's like, it has to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is a difference between, like, what they, what they came to do, how he's feeling about that, and then suddenly, like, he has, like, a physical manifestation of, like, the person that killed my brother is still out there, who very, like, very much tried to kill me as well, has left me in this mm-hmm. state. My marriage is in shambles because I cannot let go. Like, 
So it is just like it is weird that like Tommy is one of the more like tragic figures of this game because I don't think even by anything that comes after this, like there's gonna be any I don't know, closure. Like, for yeah, him. any closure for him. Like he still has like his own path he's gotta walk and things he has to get past. And um, we're not gonna check in with him again. This is the last time we're gonna see Tommy, and that is something yeah. that like I just think about a lot with this game. Is that like there are characters that you know were certainly like you know tragic figures within this, but I I do just feel a lot for Tommy as the character that wants to be able to move past this, but it feels unable to do the thing that he feels would be the thing that would help him. Um, and yeah, it's just and that it's affected him in this way. is just very sad to me. Mm-hmm. He's, I think he's also just like this at this point, he's like, you know, this, this ominous specter of what Ellie could become mm-hmm. it, because mm-hmm. like, yeah, and this is this is all like interpretation from me and not like something that's necessarily like written into the game, but it it would be easy to follow and and imagine how Tommy, you know, like like you were saying previously, he was totally down to leave and just you know get done with. you know, he's done enough killing. you know, he's he's <laughs> he he has satisfied the bloodlust, let's say it. he's he's ready to get out of Seattle and and get back to life. And then, the the exact same woman who did all this stuff to his brother comes in and and maims him and now he's got you know he's dealing with these health problems and he's got probably some pretty similar issues to what ellie is going Mm -hmm. through um and um it's just gonna make him bitter and resentful and that and he doesn't have any outlet for that so he's just gonna keep feeding that into all of his relationships Mm -hmm. and you can see how quickly things would fall apart and he would just only be blaming Abby at the end of all that. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it, it sucks. It really sucks for Tommy. Um, ex- it sucks for Ellie too. Cause like, I, I think of this part, the other journal entry I wanted to note was, I think we have it by this point is that uh, Ellie notes that like Dina has been trying to get Ellie to just talk about Joel mm-hmm. um, and talk about Jesse. And, and she does it by like trying to encourage Ellie to tell JJ about them and like, you know, maybe by talking about them, she'll be able to like let some of those feelings out. And, and that was one thing that as I've been ruminating on it, I mean, Ken, so we, we did the thing where uh, I was playing through this section and Ken was, was watching me play it on discord and all that. Um, And I was looking all over the house and I, I could not find you know, there there were some pictures and stuff, but of all the paintings and stuff that Ellie has done, I could not find any that were of Jesse or Joel. Mm-hmm. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting that she's she's doing her art, but it's only of like comic characters or Dina or JJ. It's not like anything, you know, right. that might have been helpful to like go back to that stuff. I know mm-hmm. art therapy is a thing and stuff, yeah. so I don't know that and, much and about it, but... And that's even been, like, the case, like, in her journals throughout the whole game, like, if she draws Joel, like, in a sketch, she, like, d- crosses him out or, like, does something, mm-hmm. like, crosses out his eyes or, like, something that, you know, just... Like, she can't, like, take that full step of just drawing him. She has to, like, find, like have it to represent, like, how she feels about it in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, which we'll, we'll touch on by the end of the game again. Yeah, it's, um... I think one of the more interesting things about this game and that, and that I will say is maybe like one of my problems with this game too, is just like the weird pacing of this game means that this all feels, I wouldn't say rushed, but it does feel like we've 
had two very whiplash experiences of going like from Ellie to Abby mm. and then Abby back to Ellie. And so it feels a bit like tonal whiplash where, you know, I, I talked about this last week where like the pacing of this game is really interesting and it forces you to think about different perspectives and, and how different people are dealing with their own, their own grief and their own inner demons and stuff. But it also means that like you have these moments where you're cruising on down the like all the the suffering and grief that Abby and Lev are dealing with and then suddenly you've got to like click that gear and and turn around and exit the highway because we're getting on to the the Ellie frontage road (laughs) I'm trying to keep the car metaphor going (laughs) um but it's it it does feel kind of like whiplash at times and so it it takes a moment for you to get there because you're like okay we're we're picking up Abby and Lev's grief and setting it over here and now we're going to pick up ellie's grief and put it here but it does like i i had that moment where i was like oh right this character has been through a shit ton of stuff at this point <laughs> like there's there's a lot that she's been through and that she's working through and um like this this moment that we have that night with with tommy and after tommy leaves and uh and ellie's kind of going through her her old box and stuff and and pulling out um, all these these images, all these journal entries about Joel and stuff is it's rough, but it's cool to see a video game character go through that stuff. Mm. I, I honestly like, you know, I think so often in games we see the sort of spec ops, the line like you did a bad thing and now you're going to feel bad about it. Um, but we don't really see a character have to deal with that long term and what that looks like. I mean, God of War is maybe one of the other situations I can think of in recent memory where a character had to actually like reckon with, oh, like shitty things in my past are coming back to haunt me now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. This is it's 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 interesting to run into. Um, so um, we're we're pulling all our stuff out. Um, we're I, I'm going back through this stuff because we have the the nighttime thing where we're trying to get through stuff. Oh, and then we go to the dance. Okay, right. This is when the flashback happens. Um, Ken, do you want to? So I was asking you a little bit about this, and I I wanted to make sure I brought this up. This was this was one of the earlier trailers that we had yeah. in this game. It was um the first one, right? I think, other than the uh, the original the reveal one. one? Yeah, oh, that's yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. experience yeah. with the guitar. Yeah, that was the real one. And so this one was, I think, E3 of 2018? This was the E3 where they only had, like, the four games or whatever, and they were bringing yeah. the crowd between each one of the theaters because the first theater looked... It was supposed to be the the barn, like the inside of you know wherever mm-hmm. they had the party. But I remember a lot of people remarking that it, it was like a church, and it felt very like culty because of that. <laughs> I do remember that. Um, yeah, and they did like the banjo concert, and then they played the the trailer and all that. Um, but yeah, that that scene. So when we first saw this scene in that trailer it was very much like we have this whole buildup of these characters talking, um, you know, Ellie and, and Jesse are, are kind of, you know, just, just shooting the shit at a dance that they both clearly feel out of place at. Um, you know, Jesse mentions that Joel keeps hounding him about patrol assignments that Ellie has to go on. Um, 
or whenever Ellie is scheduled, he, he gets hounded by Joel. Um, they they do the whole thing about Jesse and Dina and all that, and then Dina drags over Ellie and they they start dancing and stuff like that. And and at this point in that trailer, that's when we cut to Ellie doing a whole bunch of murder mm. and shit like that. But I think seeing it in context here, like so, I mean, the big line that they have is like, you know. Ellie says, I'm just a girl. I'm not a threat. And uh, Dina says, oh, Ellie, I think they should be terrified of you. And then kisses her. Um, and it's like two very different portrayals, I think, of who Ellie is as a character. Like on one hand, you've got in the trailer that we saw at E3, we've got this like, oh, you know, they should be terrified of you because you do murder real mm. good and stuff. <laughs> but here, But here it's like much more romantic i want to say yeah. i don't know i don't the word the word i'm looking for it's like you know it's kind of the moment that dina's like hey no i'm into you and right. they should be terrified of you because you are a threat for my romantic interests and stuff right. and it's just it reminded me like, of terrified how here has a connotation not of like people should fear you but people should be in awe of you right mm-hmm. yeah oh, that made my heart flutter when you said that now <laughs> yeah. I don't know like it, it is just like and what we talked several times throughout this like the marketing of this game was just like weird in a way that was like we could have a whole episode dedicated to dissecting yeah, we, that we, we could have like, like it's just it was, like they want like they wanted I don't know like, they were working with like eight hours of a 25 hour game that they were allowed to talk about and so like I don't know it's just like it feels like they they would find times when they could like really sell like what is this game actually about, but then they were like, okay, but we can't talk really what it's actually about, so we're gonna have to come up with this very skewed, violent version of what this game is and what it, what it can be. And it, the sort of like putting it with like slicing it into the scene was just like a weird thing. But like even though I think like there is like you know the connotations of what it means to be terrified of somebody, I think that was kind of clever like in the way that they were trying to present it at that point. But it is like a weird thing to like get to, get to what the scene actually is when you get there and be like, Oh right. They did that thing that they did in the marketing for this. And yeah, just a weird thing to look back on. Mm-hmm. It just made me think so often about how, like, look at all the violence in this game. Oh, they'd be terrified of you. Get it. Cause like you do murder and stuff, but mm-hmm. like, I do wonder, you know, I know what the reaction would be if, the trailer did not have that intercut section of video game violence and instead it was just this scene and like to me i think it it informs to me why i have always been hesitant to jump into the last of us and it's because it's always been portrayed up front i think as Mm -hmm. like brutal violent zombie fiction and it's really not that like it's right. you know it, mm-hmm. it it might have some similarities to stuff like the walking dead and all that but it it focuses so much more on the individual characters and the things they struggle with and the things mm-hmm. they deal with and to the point that i will oftentimes forget that there are zombies in this game right. no and that's right i think that's uh, especially clear in part two because like the, the yeah. zombie fiction side of it is almost a non-factor like in the majority mm-hmm. of it um, mm-hmm. I mean, because, like, that that was part one's plot. That was, like, you know, they're trying to possibly get a cure. And then 
the, the human connections kind of like you know intercept that and that is what leads us into part two because and it allows it to be the more human human that's a, that you know that's a loaded term human story and game in general just because like yeah like you said like it's a non-factor that the infected are even really part of this game because that's not really what any of this is about mm-hmm. yeah so but before we get into the part that ruins all the good fun like like nah like what did you think of of this whole like flash I, we haven't really have we talked much with you about flashbacks at all because i feel like this this game is also no i mean you not, she would have been here when before any of that had come up so yeah mm-hmm. uh like like that's one of the other things that i've found really interesting about part two is that th- not just that it's got this interesting f- framing of moving between characters but you've also got so many flashbacks and and so mm. many times when we jump back to earlier points in a character's life to live them out. So um, and it, where were you kind of at with, with this stuff? So this, I'm, I can't say if I'm 100% sure about this, but I think there is some sort of interview or somewhere where it's mentioned that they briefly considered having this at the beginning of the game rather than mm. at the end of the game um if anyone like wants to fact check me please go ahead and like apologies if it's wrong but um but i mean that was it regardless of whether they've come out and, and said that that could have been an avenue for them to take because this is essentially the first footage that they showed of the game the first mm. real footage right. and it's all like pre-rendered cgi whatever but it's like this was our first substantial look at the game, which is why for a lot of people, especially the queer fans of The Last of Us or like the queer people who were keeping an eye on this game, um, it set a a worrying tone mm. of like bury your gaze because, it, and it was very intentional, of course, like you have this and then like the cut, like when you, when they switch to violence, it's like focusing on, the bracelet uh, that mm. Ellie's wearing, that's Dina's, and that you saw it and whatnot. So, like, it is a route they could have taken, but I'm I'm very glad that they actually put this at the end. And I think it's I think it's a brilliant choice. I think something that I see often, and especially that I had that reaction. And I think most people do is like, you know, that first impression of this game is so memorable. Up until the end, uh, up until like this moment in the game, you're kind of wondering, well, where's that scene? Like, right. did they cut it out? Where did it go? And, you know, I guess you wouldn't typically think of inserting that kind of scene or that particular scene here, but I think it's, I think it's really well done. I think it's beautifully done. I think it's just, um, it hits harder just because, like, you know that Jesse's gone mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. didn't really have, I mean, like. Jesse got clapped so hard. Like, mm. Man got so clapped. Um, and his death was the most unsatisfying and sudden and uh, just abrupt one along with Manny's. But Jesse is obviously a character that I think most people would be more attached to than Manny. Um, mm. So just seeing this and seeing just how things used to be... Um, and I think it's just, it's really emotional. And I think it's also um, like 
we talk about this scene a lot in terms of the Ellie and Dina section, but as we go on to see, there's much more to this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, here is where we see Joel stand up for Ellie um, against a bigot king, Seth, <laughs> and we hate homophobes. And He's it's the fucking worst. If fucking sucks. worst, and it's just, it is such an emotional part because you you see how desperately Joel is trying to connect yeah. with Ellie even in a way and that allows him to also honor the distance that she wants and respect it um and in the scene we see Ellie just freak out on him unfairly like mm-hmm. she tells him she can handle it she's like I don't need your fucking help and it it, it creates such a good transition for for what Ellie's about to do in the present, right. which is like what she did with Joel in that moment. It is something that you can understand why she does it, but it is frustrating and it makes her unlikable in that moment. And it's very hard to agree with her and how she lashes out at Joel. Um, and she's about to do something like that very similarly in the present. Uh, she's about to, you know leave this home, uh, focus on what maybe she shouldn't. Uh, but you also kind of understand, like, Ellie has really complicated feelings right. about Joel. She had really complicated feelings, uh-huh. and those were valid. And, yeah, it's just, like, uh, the the thing about Joel in this game that made me more sad than anything was just all the signs of lost potential, right? Like, as someone who honestly didn't really care much for Joel this game made me care about him because like it is so it is so tragic to see just all the things that Joel could have been around for Mm -hmm. and all the things that Joel and Ellie still had to experience um and we're gonna see more of that later on in one of the most poignant scenes in the game but Mm -hmm. yeah it's just it it is just a, a tragedy of like not miscommunication, but just different points of views. And you can't say, you know, Ali was wrong for reacting that way. Or like, she, or like you can't understand why, but it's also like, damn, Ellie, you, you got a dad here being like, <laughs> I love my gay daughter, you know? I love my lesbian daughter. Yeah. And he's just like really proud of it. And, you know, we don't really get a very concise picture of how queer politics and queerness is seen in the larger world of The Last of Us Part Two. Like, we get the, the flag in the shop, but, like, Ellie and Dina somehow don't really know about it. And then we got, like, Seth being a bigot, and, like, everyone kind of knows that's wrong, but nobody really says anything. Right. So, I mean, it's it's a complicated thing. But, uh, yeah, it's just like, oh, Ellie, you shouldn't have really done that. And we're about to see something where yeah. we're like, Ellie, you really should have done that. You should have done that. Shit. Yeah, and it's, and it's especially because, like, Yes, Joel is, like, kind of breaking a boundary by, like, getting involved in something of Ellie's, but, like, when you see, like, as soon as, like, it starts to escalate, like, Tommy and Maria come over, and they're just like, come on, let's get you some, for some fresh air, man, let's go somewhere else, and I'm like, right. Joel was the one who had, like, the, like, the really, like, proper reaction as, like, an adult figure in her life, and yeah, yeah. that was, right. and so, like, that is, like, when you see that uh, sort of comparison there, it does make it more, more upsetting when she's, like, far off, Joel, I don't need your help, but then, like, when he kind of, like, 
looks around, realizes everybody's looking at him, and just kind of, like, embarrassed, leaves. And then it does have that, like, the camera lingers on her, and, like, she has, so, like, she seems to be regretting something. And... For sure. Um, based on, like, the timeline of events, because, like, we talked about this, this um, moment with Jesse, the first, the very first day in Jackson, there's maybe reason to believe that that might have been the note that they left off on. And that kind of was my, the framing that I took with, uh, that, that took with me into this next scene of, like, why Ellie might feel so conflicted and, like, maybe ashamed of, like, that might, that could have hypothetically been her last interaction with Joel, because, like, I think right. that that's kind of what each of these flashbacks are kind of, like, trying, they're trying to frame these as, is that this might have been the last thing they said to each other. And right. with each of these different um, flashbacks, like, it just gets pres- progressively, progressively worse between them. And, you know, you kind of see that manifest in, like, something that is not an explosion of emotion about... Uh, what he did at the hospital here, just like in their day-to-day lives, like she wanted nothing to do with him. Like not even if it was in her defense, uh, she was just wanted to be that distance from him. And so I think that is kind of what they're trying to set your mindset as, is that like Mm -hmm. there were things that were left unsaid. And that is why Ellie is so uh, compelled as she is in this next scene. Right. And the interesting thing is that the game is actually quite upfront. I would say it doesn't, attempt to really obfuscate the fact that there has to be something after this conversation Mm -hmm. because I mean one of the first things that happens to the game is Dina and Ellie going on that run and Ellie just timidly being like yeah Joel and I are gonna see a movie and you get the hit that like some sort of conflict has happened between them um you're not sure of the severity Mm -hmm. but you you get the idea that they are on uncertain grounds and that they are going to test the waters by watching a movie later that night and trying to reconnect so the game actually just like it tells you up front there's there's more here but Mm -hmm. since there has been so much that has happened Mm -hmm. and so much is happening like that was the last thing i remembered when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, fuck, this is the last thing that she told Joel. Like, of course, right. she is so caught up with this. Like, there's so much regret there. Um, but yeah, we're going to go on to talk about that later. Uh, I did want to note, so I did I did fact check you here. Um, and this is coming from Vulture, which did a feature on the kiss scene from Last of Us Part 2. Originally, the kiss scene was meant to open the game. Yeah, that's right. Shot, uh, Gross and Druckmann realized that players wouldn't get into gameplay for 25 minutes into the game. That never felt good, says Gross. It would run the risk of boring a player who jones for seven years to once again inhabit the character of Ellie. Ultimately, Druckmann and Gross decide it should come near the end as a flashback. Ellie has been a killer since the first game, but by the second game, she is uniquely vicious. By the time the kiss scene rolls around, players may have decided to hate Ellie because of the crushingly monstrous deeds. This is all written by the purse, by the way. This is not something Gross is saying. (laughs) 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 should note that. Um, Uh, Ellie will leave the love of her life for the sake of an almost genetic need for retribution. Uh, In this milieu, the kiss has, quote, far more impact, end quote, says Gross, than it had as a standalone scene or at the game's beginning. Um, Right, because she could have had this, but it's also like these things were ripped away from her. Like Jesse, first person that she talks to in that scene, ripped away from her. Mm -hmm. Dina's peace and happiness and that specific image of Dina that she grew up with ripped away from her. Joel obviously ripped away from her so it's like it is so understandable why she's about to do what she's about to do like these are things that 
she could have had but that were taken away from her and when something is taken away when all those things that you love most are taken away from you so violently it's like you know you don't have to agree with it but I think it's it's very understandable um Mm. to see where Ellie is coming from and like I agree with the phrase like genetic need like this is Mm -hmm. This is trauma. This is something that she cannot overcome on her own by, like, you know, reading comics or drawing Dina however many times that she wants or by feeding their farm animals on a daily basis. Like, this is something that is in her being. Like, you know, when you, I don't know, like, I don't know how to compare it exactly to, but like, there are things that we need to do. Um, they are different from what we want to do. Um, a lot of the time, those things don't actually align. Uh, I I don't think Ellie wanted to obviously leave Dina, leave JJ, leave this life that she had been working hard to to craft and to believe in. Um, but she felt like she needed to, and that's just that's the difference. And that is the area where a lot of human beings are frustrating, um, both to ourselves and our loved ones. And that's just kind of human nature. I mean, if, if we all did what we needed to, and what we wanted to, and those things perfectly aligned every time, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't really, you know, be the way that we are. Like, that's just human nature. Mm. So we, we jump back forward to the present here and Ellie is already in the kitchen packing up supplies and stuff, getting the old backpack ready. Um, and, and Dina comes in and, and kind of realizes what's happening. And we get this scene that is like, the, I, I think the dialogue in the scene is some of the best in the game. It's yes. like, it's, it's an example of where this could have been a lot longer and a lot more overwrought. And like, I think part of what makes it stick out is that they are just being so absolutely direct with the words that Mm -hmm. they are saying. And like, um, you know, she's, there's also so much like communication that is unsaid between Mm -hmm. them. Like you said, it could have been like way longer or overwrought. And I think it would have minimized it, but like, like when Dina holds her face and she's like, like, don't do this. We've got a family. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't get to be more important than that. Yes. Oh, Ellie doesn't say much. anything. Ellie only, she only has to look at Ellie and look at the, I don't want to say the vibes on her face, but like <laughs> <laughs> the vibes on her face. <laughs> but like, she only mission. needs to look into her eyes and see like, she doesn't fight it because she knows. And I think that says so much about them and their relationship. Well, also like, every single line in this scene is so direct mm-hmm. at the same time. It's, it's really great. Yeah. Like it, that part where she's says like, you, she doesn't get to be more important than that is like, I like that line a lot because it's not, it, it's not putting it on Ellie. It's not like accusatory on Ellie. Like your problems don't get to be more impro- important than our problems. It's like you are making her this idea of mm-hmm. Abby like you are making Abby more important than anyone mm-hmm. else in your life right now, you know, and it might be because you want to kill her, but it still means that she's more important than like JJ and Dina and stuff. Right. And, and like, you know, I think this is the point where we get to, and <laughs> I already read your note, Ken. Um, but like, this is the, the point where I think a lot of this stuff comes home is this, um, 
moment where Dina says like, what I'm supposed to just sit here and wait for you for, for God knows how long thinking you're dead the whole time. And, and I think it just highlights that like some characters in this world are able to move on and able to be like, you know, you're talking about all the stuff that Elliot had that was taken away by what Abby did. And Dina sees that. Dina too. Yeah, Dina sees that like she can't get that stuff back, but she can have something new and and at least have mm-hmm. something and not lose that as well. Whereas Ellie cannot like shake the desire to try and recover something through this revenge, to try and get something back through this revenge. And right. yeah, and, and it's the question of like, can you really get anything back? And and in you know, in Ellie's mind, she thinks that killing Abby will solve her problems. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Dina's saying, no, it won't. Like, it fucking won't. You killed so mm-hmm. many people. We have we have a home. We have a fuck ton of sheep. We have a tractor that I'm not sure if that tractor actually works or if it's just a cosmetic tractor, but it's out there. <laughs> and, and we've got a kid and we've got paintings and comic books and a weird cranky record player and you want to leave all that because you think that you can't get past it without killing Abby in this moment you are making that the most important thing in your life not everything else here Mm -hmm. Um, right it hits something that yeah yeah, I was just gonna say it hits (laughs) (laughs) it hits it slaps it does Uh, like I was sitting there like oh man this oof it does and what I was gonna say is that I I wrote a feature on fanbite.com where me and Ken write Mm -hmm. um, called Defining Dina where I spoke with Shannon Woodward the actor who does all of Dina's like mocap and voice performance I spoke with uh, a few designers who worked on Dina specifically Mm -hmm. and something that I think the game could have done better that I realized as I was writing that feature um, is really which i mean i get it because it's it's really ambitious enough as it is but i think it could have gone a bit deeper with dina's character and her own trauma because like throughout this scene i I think it does well enough that like i was able to like pull you know from those threads to write the article that i wrote and like feel like i captured dina's character but i I feel like when we talk about this scene, um, we always talk about like Ellie's trauma. Uh, but Dina mm-hmm. is is so smart in being like, "Do you think this is easy? Right. Like, yeah, I have mm-hmm. reasons yeah. Yeah. why I get through the day, but this isn't easy for me either." Mm-hmm. And it's like the game is so focused, and the story is so focused naturally and logically so on Ellie's trauma. But like, Dina has also had so many things taken mm-hmm. away from her. She doesn't have parents. Her sister was mm-hmm. killed. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse was killed mm-hmm. and she wasn't even present for it. She didn't even get to talk to him. She was backstage, like in the theater, just like being absolutely oblivious to the fact that he just got shot in the face. Like she has had all these things taken away from her as well. And it's it's not easy for her it, it mm-hmm. doesn't but they have different dynamics they have different experiences ways of handling trauma like we talked about before dina is able to sort of gather external sources she's pretty good at that like she's very good obviously at building community she was very popular in jackson she was very good at making those connections that mm-hmm. uh 
just took the place of her parents or at least like mended those wounds a little while Ellie is much more withdrawn Mm -hmm. uh, introverted and you know just internalizes her trauma a lot more Um, and I just think it's these are two very traumatized people who deal with it differently and Mm -hmm. I think like Dina understands as much as she hates it like there's no point in the scene where she gives the idea that she doesn't understand why she's why Ellie's about to do what she's right. gonna do. Yeah. I don't think it's just important like we talked about this with Lev last week. Like I th- I think it is important to have characters like Dina and Lev who speak against the like the cycle that Ellie and Abby just like exist in and that it's like mm-hmm. where they live naturally. Because like mm-hmm. there there could be an argument that this game like presents this idea as like a universal constant, but I just, like when you have characters like Lev and Dina that are arguing against it and like have gone through like equally traumatic experiences to these two women, um, that th- that they are able to come out of it without having to like give into this. Like it shows that this is not some universal constant. And everyone is on the individual to like make that choice to uh, you know m- move past it. And I think that's also just like very important. Like, to, to keep in mind with Ellie, because, like, something I've been thinking about a lot, and, like, I, I mentioned this from last week, too. Like, yes, there's PTSD going on here. That, that is something that is sort of, like, uh, fueling some of Ellie's desire to keep doing this. But also, like, Ellie is a character who does not typically get to decide for herself when she gets to, like, when she, something gets to end or when she gets to, like, move on from something. Because, like, whether it was, like, Joel killing the Fireflies when she wanted to be the cure... Or the fact that, like, the doctor's there, like, Abby's dad was, like, totally ready to kill her without her consent. Or that, like, she was basically forced to stop going after Abby in Seattle. Like, Ellie is a character... not being able to die with Riley when she had decided that she was going to die. Like, Ellie's life is one where she has not had agency despite supposedly being the special person who is immune from this entire thing. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, I get why she is, like you know, all the other things aside, like, that she needs to be the one that gets to make the decision to walk away, like, that she needs to Mm -hmm. have that ability to find this on her own terms. That just makes so much sense to me that, like, I'm like, yeah, this is a a woman who is trying to fight against what, basically, she has had to fight against her entire life. And so that's why it's always weird to me that people are like, why do I not get a choice here? Like, why is there not a choice for me to... Make yeah. Ellie stay. They, they were <laughs> and and I'm, I'm like, I don't know. Like, exactly. It's like, not the character that's been built this entire time. Like, the series a Paragon <laughs> Renegade choice in the middle yeah. of the last part two. Fucking <laughs> 40 hours into the series, and I'm like, oh, now suddenly the entire philosophy is going to change. And I'm just like, friend, like, it, that is that feels like not meeting the game on its own terms. That's like, like, I mean, I've been I've been generally polite about a lot of this, the criticism around this game and, like, why I don't think some of it holds up. But that's just fucking stupid. Like, what are you what are you talking about, friend? Like, what are you talking about? Like, trying to get, like, suddenly, like, a dialogue wheel shows up and, like, or a paragon interrupt. Like, come on. Yeah, for me, it's um one that I think about a lot, a lot from the criticisms that I saw is if I was Ali, yep. I wouldn't have done that i would have just stayed with dina and jj and i i understand but when this is a very set and established story and narrative with like very specific characters Mm -hmm. um and i mean if if this whole thing hasn't worked for you that's understandable it's not going to work for everyone and i can see why it wouldn't work for people um but i think engaging with 
this game and this finale in those terms it doesn't it's not a discussion that can last for very long mm. in my opinion because it's like well i i would have done this it's like well ellie has very particular experiences she is right. her own person like this this narrative even if it fails in other areas mm-hmm. you can't say it doesn't succeed at establishing human characters with motivations that may be frustrating or ugly or understandable or everything in between but they it is very clear why their motivations are what they are Mm -hmm. and so it's like i i don't know how to respond to that criticism because i'm just kind of like well it starts and ends there because like if this just didn't work for you it, it did it but i mean like by this point ideally you understand why ellie is doing this Um, even if it's Mm -hmm. frustrating that's totally different from not understanding it you could be totally mad at ellie for doing Mm -hmm. this like that's fucking stupid like you're gonna leave a girl as hot as dina like (laughs) this like that's just stupid right you're supposed supposed to be be. frustrated yeah right because it's like you you want better for her but also Mm -hmm. you you get it like she has to be the one to do this and ultimately it's that really makes the world of a difference for her by the end you know we're gonna go on to talk about that again but like that's that's just the difference her having the agency to decide when she's had enough of this Mm -hmm. and by this point she has still had other people try to decide that for her and Mm -hmm. you know it's just she can't she can't deal with that yeah it's like that's like one of the most frustrating like things that anyone can ever say about a piece of media is like you know, oh, if I were Augustus Gloop at Willy Wonka's <laughs> Chocolate Factory, I would have simply not fallen into the Chocolate River. It's like that's such a that's such a dumb like like the reason why that's interesting is because like each one of those kids is like falling prey to their own hubris, and guess what? This character is also doing like falling prey to her own hubris. Yeah. Ellie is falling into the Chocolate River of revenge, and <laughs> like that's I. I, you're supposed to be frustrated. Like, like, I hate to be the one to tell somebody who did not pay attention in their English class when they were younger mm-hmm. that, like, literature is supposed to frustrate you in some ways. It's supposed to put these characters in front of you mm-hmm. and, like, get you to wrestle with why they would, you yep. know, have faults and make wrong decisions. I mean, fucking go read, like, Greek myth. Like, that's all it is, is a bunch of people fucking up all the time and being terrible <laughs> people. It's why it's good. <laughs> like... <laughs> It True. would be it would be a bad story if Augustus Gloop didn't fall in the chocolate river. <laughs> That's, I yeah. Oh man, that yeah. that that grinds my gears. That's... Yeah, and it was like a frustrating like amongst all the other like weird discourse that was around the game. Like there was like people that like you know there was a petition out there trying to get Naughty Dog to remake the game where Joel did not die oh, at the my, beginning. Of course there was. And I'm like, it's something that like really occurred to me then was like after like years of that like meme of like. Meaning, like, English teachers being, like, the curtains were just fucking blue. That's all that it meant. And I was like, do we really expect, like, a lot of people, like, in the like, past generation or so to, like, kind of understand that, like, just because something is upsetting does not mean that it is bad? I don't know. It's mm-hmm. something that, like, really just stuck out to me about a lot of the sort of, like, trying to, like, player insert characters that have never been that. That, like, in a series that has never, like, that has always been, like, player antagonistic in the way that it presented stories and its characters. So, you know, weird, weird shit. It, and, like, I think there is definitely space to explore what the story looks like if some of these things change. And, like, that's definitely the realm for, like, 
then, you know, maybe if you want to explore what you think the story would have been like, like, what, you know, what if Tommy died instead of Joel or something like Mm -hmm. that? Like, you've got fan fiction and stuff like that where you can explore those those areas and stuff like that. But, like, when Gatsby dies at the end of The Great Gatsby and doesn't get with Daisy and doesn't, like, have this romantic thing happen, like, can you imagine someone being like, release the F. Scott Fitzgerald cut, <laughs> like, un- unkill Catsby and stuff like it's I like, how do you miss the point so much? And mm-hmm. yeah, this this is why we need more reading comprehension. <laughs> so true. And, and people need to get more comfortable with fiction that challenges them because I'm not going to pretend like there isn't some shadow self complex going on in some of these situations. Um, why wouldn't Shinji just get in the robot? Uh, <laughs> so I, I would simply get in the robot. Uh, I'm going to stop making weird pop culture references now. <laughs> so at Ellie takes off. Them. And here's, here's the other frustrating thing is I do think there are like, Nat, you mentioned like, there are times where if it didn't make sense for a character, it would be okay to like express some of those frustrations because you Mm -hmm. could like really identify those areas where it doesn't sync up. And I actually think we do have cases of that, or at least like one very specific Mm -hmm. case we've already talked about, which is like Tommy's sudden switch. And we don't really get a lot of exposition. We have to kind of interpret a lot just from Mm. his very brief appearance here. And I do feel like that's an area that, they maybe could have just explored a little bit more. Like we're just kind of left to be like, okay, this guy Mm -hmm. that was previously all gung ho about going back home and bringing this fake gold necklace to his wife and all that, who we thought was dead. Now in the span of about like two minutes worth of cutscene, we're going to find out he's not dead. Uh, He's, he's working through some issues. Mm -hmm. He's separated from his wife and he is now the one that is totally obsessed with tracking down Abby and, and finds that, she's headed to Santa Barbara and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an area where I remember I, I was like, ah, you know, I, I think I would have liked to just get a little yeah. bit more there. And like, mm-hmm. like what we said about Dina too, like I think there are areas of this game where the, the laser focus on especially Ellie and Abby, but mm-hmm. I'd even say like Ellie mostly like when, when Ellie is the focus of the story, she tends to right. be the focus of the story. Um, and I think that that is like a valid thing to point out, but that's so much yeah. different from being like, well, if I was Tommy, I would have simply not gotten shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have executed a precise barrel roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Uh, if that was Jesse, I wouldn't have gotten clapped so hard. <laughs> God. Why didn't Jesse just duck running through the door? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just press C and crouch? Exactly. Like. <laughs> if I was if I was here, I would have Gears of War roadie run through every door. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we we jumped to Santa Barbara, and this is actually one part that I I don't think I like about this ending section is that we suddenly jump to Abby to just kind of like give us some context for why we're going to see Abby later in the game, mm-hmm. um, and I think it kind of breaks some of the the tension that we're building up here. Um, but it it is also kind of nice to get this one list. Like, this is the last time we will play as Abby. And uh, we, we get to have this moment where 
we're, we're kind of roaming around with Lev, and they're very much like Joel and Ellie circa Last of Us Part One, mm-hmm. uh, like yeah. on their own little adventure looking for the fireflies. Um, and I do think it's, there's a lot of parts of this that I, I feel are almost intentionally like very Last of Us Part One, like, mm-hmm. you know, exploring the different houses feels very Last of Us Part One, and mm-hmm. uh, you find all the, the markings and stuff, and there's like a, I think it's actually Ellie who makes the joke later that's like all these different markings and, and gangs and stuff. It's all just people <laughs> that are like mm-hmm. factions and stuff like that. And she's sick of the factions. But Their banter is also very Joel, mm-hmm. Ellie, yes. and Last of Us Part yeah. 1. Like we don't really, we haven't seen Abby and Lev play around with each other like this, but like they are so comfortable with each other now mm-hmm. and like their family, you know, yeah. like if, if that was ever in doubt before, yeah. which it shouldn't have been, but mm-hmm. like this is just a clear, you know, yeah. showcase of that. They just feel like they're in a lower, like a lower stakes environment that they can just be playful and like kind to each other with well, this not like in the drama and war zone that was Seattle. And so it is, it is very yeah. nice. Like it is, it does mm-hmm. feel like, like I specifically mentioned like the fall section of uh, part one, where like we were at the, the college and just having these fun conversations, and yeah, just very nice to have that moment for them for as, yeah. as long as it's gonna last. Nice scenery, too. Yeah, yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah, that was something that actually stuck out to me a lot. Was at Santa Barbara, like it got some of like the most vile shit that's happening in this in this game, but it's also like one of the most beautiful environments just because like it, we were in Seattle for so long, which is the rainiest, mm-hmm. greenest fucking place in all of America, right. and here is just like and that was before the apocalypse (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're here like they could have picked any other that was a specific location that they picked and it's like all the palm trees and like the sunny vibes Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah it's like a it's very nice yeah yeah um and, and like and the plot here is honestly it's it's light but i enjoy it it's it almost feels like it's teasing us like oh here comes another like big section like here comes abby day 342 i don't know <laughs> like, Queen um, deserves, yes. yeah um but uh we we get on the radio we find the spot that we have traded a pistol for to get the information about where the fireflies are, are stationed in santa barbara and we get on a radio there and and abby is is reaching out and talking to uh different stations and finally finds somebody who uh radios her back uh, and learns that the Fireflies have pulled everyone back uh, to the home base, which is uh, they're over at Catalina Island. Um, and and they set up a rendezvous, and Abby and Lev are so excited, and they're going to go hang out with the Fireflies. They're and I think so this is cute. Yeah. It's, like, it's so interesting, too, because, like, Ellie and Dina flee from the home that they already have because they need to be away from that community and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. I have, I did wonder, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end. I, I, I won't bring that up yet. We'll talk about that at the end, but, but put, put a pin, a in, pin in it. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, Abby here, like even after everything that has happened, uh, is really just looking for community mm-hmm. and, there's like so much hope in this part where it's like, oh, there might be a place where she can live and maybe live not working for, you know, a, a ruthless militia or right. something like mm-hmm. that. But like, oh, go hang out on on an island. That sounds great. That's that's that sounds like a good time. We'll hang mm-hmm. out on a California island. She's just so good. Like, 
I adore Abby so much. And, like, just this entire time, I was, like, you, like, saw the love of your life just get, like, absolutely shanked. Like, the girl he had impregnated also shanked. Like, you lost, like, so much. But you're here still being optimistic Mm -hmm. about finding community. And she's just, you know, just taking in the fact that it's her in love and she she seems at peace with this um Mm -hmm. like this is the one time that she explicitly mentions her father i would say in the game yeah yeah at least like in the in the post like joel's death scenes i believe Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah like this is the one time where you hear her say like this was uh, Jerry Anderson and mm. I, I was his daughter. And it just feels like, again, Ellie and Abby are just constantly on inverted sides of the spectrum. And right. this is her, like, I think, just coming to terms with the fact that she is okay with it just being her and love. Meanwhile, um, Ellie is like, no, it is not okay just being me, Dina, and JJ. Like, I need something else entirely because abby already went through that she got what Mm -hmm. she needed she was able to have the agency to decide for herself and decide how she grieved in her own terms by killing joel um so yeah i just i love abby Uh, Mm -hmm. also i want to say okay so i i made a job at eric earlier for the whole baby stuff and about Mm -hmm. how he thought that the baby (laughs) was talking at one point but it was really ali being like ah yeah Yeah, doing baby voice but here i will say that i i've done something that i've barely heard anyone be dumb enough to also do which is like the voice on the radio to me sounded exactly like the voice of no i i I exactly thought the same thing the first time i played oh my god okay literally we had like one brain cell that we (laughs) (laughs) no i thought Um, that and it it was it honestly like the first time I, I thought played it was this. a trap. I yeah, thought he was what just like, I thought Oh, too. I thought it was the first time I played this. I thought I was like, oh, they just fell right into a trap. Yeah, that, that cool. was what yeah. I thought for like until I think it was even like post interviews that you know the thing that we'll talk about at the very very end of this episode. Like I I thought it was a trap. I thought that, that when they were asking what address they were at, uh, that that was them like setting up. But yeah, I don't th- I don't know yeah. if it was the same actor or not because I think it was Travis Willingham that voices the rattler outside, but. I'm not sure who voices the yeah. Firefly. Definitely not the same one, or at least intended to be, but, like, they sounded they sound so similar. similar. Mm-hmm. I feel like they should have changed that up, because I was like, uh, like, when she gets out of that garage and she gets clapped, and then Lev gets, like, really mm-hmm. clapped, yeah. I'm like, oh, no, they were wiretapping the place, and they were just staking it out outside, waiting for her to get, no, and I was so stressed out, but... Apparently not. Apparently, like so, like when when the ending comes and whatnot, we'll talk about that after. But like when we see the ending screen, I was like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't made up. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's um, like a weird, weird little oversight, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> it was when when you mentioned Nat, you said like <laughs> love of Abby's life. The first thing I like saw in my head was. Um, Lev and and Abby like sitting there after all the events of Seattle, and and Lev being like, "Do you feel bad like that that you let Ellie go? Like she killed the love of your life." And Abby just being like, "Eh." <laughs> it was Owen. Who fucking cares? I could have done him. better, yeah. Lev. She took care of it for me. <laughs> Lev, this is the first of many lessons. 
we can aim much, much higher than that. <laughs> well, speaking of Owen, when we get to the next witch, there's a note that implies that she is still carrying that flame. Oh, really? Did you not read it? I can't remember. Did you read it? Yeah, I think I, I, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Oh, okay. So we switch over now after they get... They get yes. Yeah, back to, back to Ellie. So we're on the boat as Ellie, and uh, I think, that, yeah, we see the, the Constance address, so that's where we're going to head in the city. And there's a, there's a letter uh, in the boat on the, uh, oh, on the counter. Oh, that letter. Yeah, and yeah. it's like just Abby kind of like writing to Owen and like even makes a reference about a, uh, a seal that they saw. And they had spots and it's like oh. this a karmic way of you mocking me. And it was like... I mm-hmm. totally forgot about that. Yeah. If I saw it, I forgot about it. But I mean, that only seems natural, you know? Like she's carrying those people with her mm-hmm. for the rest of her life. Like even Mel, I'm sure, who was like not... <laughs> tight with her right. by any means like she's carrying that with her you know yeah mm. could have done better though yeah you yeah know? you can move on Abby it's all good <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the dating prospects are like in the post-apocalypse with like slavers <laughs> running around but let's just say you could do better just pictured like cell phone network finally goes up you know people are starting to be able to access stuff and you can finally swipe in the post-apocalypse <laughs> and then ponytail rattler shows up as, as the first mm. profile you just break the phone in half <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> <Done>. uh, <laughs> god i hate ponytail rattler so much he's so awful just Skeedy. like oh god um, it, we'll, we'll get to Ponytail Rattler in a second here. Um, so, uh, we're, we're back as Ellie and we're on hot on the trail of, of Abby and Lev who, uh, unknowns to, to Ellie have been kidnapped by the Rattlers. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're kind of going through some more, you know, at this point I was kind of going like, oh, huh. So we're really like still doing gameplay i mean i guess i'm not supposed to assume that this is like the end of the video game you know i only know that because of how we have scheduled that out and such Mm. but even playing it i was thinking in my mind like man this is a long ass video game like this is a long video game Mm -hmm. (laughs) this this is not like like last of us part one felt like it stayed just about exactly what its welcome was in terms mm-hmm. of like how long that game was and here last of us part two i this this was the moment where i was like oh they they gave me a new gun why mm. would you give me a new gun <laughs> like, <laughs> tutorials <laughs> pop up um. yeah yeah it's like hey you got this the silenced smg and then it was you know the trophy also popped up it was like get every weapon and all that and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that's like, this is, this is like Last of Us Part One, where you get the assault rifle right at the end and stuff. Mm. Um, and and honestly, I don't think I really used that SMG much at all, anyways. So it's really good. It, mm. it is really good. I was just like, it, it shoots incredibly fast. Um, so it was fun for a little bit of chaos, but ultimately, I. It, it was weird, like, now that I was back playing as Ellie again, I had to remember what Ellie's play style was and mm. how Ellie works because I'd spent so long getting used to how Abby plays. And so I was like, I, I would try to switch to my sidearm. I'd be like, oh, right, I don't have that hunting pistol anymore, so I can't just, like, blammo people, and I don't have the incendiary ammo, so I can't just run up to people and, and get in their face and all that. I have to, like, 
play a little bit more mm. ranged and I have to play, you know, I've got the, the arrows that I can use instead of the crossbow, but they have explosives. And so it, it was just weird getting reused mm. to all that stuff. Um, mm. Especially like, again, we have maybe like, let's say three to four combat segments left in the game. Like yeah, ballpark for that. But, yeah. um, this this was the point where I was like, well, we could not just like expedite this section a little bit because I don't think we really gain anything narratively. We do get some exposition on like what the Rattlers are, um, mm-hmm. like like what their whole deal is as another post-apocalypse zombie gang that's doing bad shit to people, um, and we as we're we're moving through Santa Barbara, we find all their graffiti and stuff uh but we get uh we trip a trap and get dragged up on a, on a tree uh and then um whew, yeah i forgot about the branch for a second that branch that fucking sucked us. yeah Slaughters. holy Sally. shit I was I was kind of going like, did they plan for that, or was that like a happy little accident that there just happened to be like an impaling branch on this tree? Or I got the sense that they've laid out the trap because they know that branch is there, yeah. and like it, they know that like in terms of like how physics work, the person would swing from side to side and just end mm-hmm. up like yeah, mm-hmm. fucking like. So I didn't I didn't read any of the leaks, but I had seen a fake one that like go into this that said that ellie was going to die at the end of this game and so mm. when i saw that branch ha- shit happen like first Same. first i was like gross fuck no thank you but then i was like are they are they are they really about to kill the protagonist of like a m- much beloved franchise by means of fucking branch is that like is that, is that really what happened? <laughs> well, we've already talked on this podcast about how a tv series killed it one of its like main characters with a rusty nail mm. so like that's <laughs> Um, you get all kinds of spoilers here on Normandy FM. <laughs> uh, yeah, but the the part that grossed me out, like, yeah, the branch impaling sucked. It's when she passes out and then wakes back up, and the blood has like trickled all the way down her face yeah. and stuff. I was like, bitch, how you oh, oh, like, and that's like, you know, later on, you know, when she does eventually kill some rattlers and stuff. And we will talk about that in detail. Don't worry. But, um, like when she's walking around after that, uh, she like stitches herself up. I'm like, Oh, but that like, you've only got like one tank top. It's gotta be like covered in blood. You gotta like make a decision. Like, am I going to take clothes off of ponytail rattler and wear them to have clean (laughs) clothes? But are they clean? What is ponytail rattler? Like smells like Guy Fieri probably like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, just Axe body spray. Um, <laughs> um, oh, yeah, there's a lot of nastiness in here. Um, so when when Ellie comes to, some rattlers show up. At first, she thinks they're they're Abby and Lev, but we then realize that they are Ponytail Rattler and Jerkwad Rattler, uh, and uh, they're basically going to like tie Ellie up, and they talk about like, oh, she's only going to make it a month and stuff like that, and. Uh, the the one dude is like, oh, she's not worth the taking the trip back. We should just take her out here. And then all of a sudden, like, almost walks into the like, it's a, it's not a clicker. I thought it was just like a runner. No, it's clicker. Maybe, it was definitely a clicker. it's a clicker. Okay, okay. Uh, yeah. So they've got an infected hung up on on one of the the traps as well. 
Uh, and he freaks out and Ellie starts laughing as it looks like he shit his pants, <laughs> which I was like, oh, Ellie, you crafty devil. You're, <laughs> you're like luring them into false. So yeah, he like picks her up and starts walking her towards the, the zombie, the, the infected is like, oh, it's going to make her make it bite you and stuff like that. And I was like, these morons, these <laughs> fools. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, we shove him into the, into the infected and he gets all chomped up and then, uh, grab his gun and shoot the other guy, uh, and interrogate him for a little bit. You know, ponytail spills the details pretty fast. Uh, says that like, oh, and Abby came through. Uh, she has arms girl. like mine. Yeah, arms like mine. I was like, nah, not like I was like, like Brad, you don't give yourself wish. that credit. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stop thinking about that that part where they're rowing back from the island and Lev is all sad. <laughs> Are you sad, Lev? You want to watch me row the boat? Will that make you feel better watching these two big guns row the boat back? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he's he's like, oh, if you let me live, I'll tell you where they are. And then he says where they are. So like, great job, dude. And obviously Ellie like blasts him. Um, and and we were following some directions and we go through another combat section where we do get some more stuff about the Rattlers. Uh, where where Ryuji from Persona Five gets murdered. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, he 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 shoots himself. He won't oh, go back. Oh right, right, right. I was thinking of a different captive thing that happens um yeah uh shout out to max middleman yeah uh (laughs) very very good at voicing a dying man so so we have now discovered that the rattlers are capturing people um you know obviously like enslaving them in some ways but we don't know for what ends uh this is when we actually get our silenced smg and then we just do all kinds of different murdering and stuff um I guess we did not mention at this point. I'm glad you, you wrote it down here, Ken, uh, the notes that, mm-hmm. that Ellie has in her journal. Um, always be checking that journal. Uh, and she has a lot of stuff that's like, hey, maybe maybe I shouldn't have gone on this journey. Mm-hmm. Maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whoops. Um, maybe I shouldn't let, have left my hot wife mm-hmm. with her cute baby. Oh, no. Who could have my, seen this? my tractor. <laughs> mm. I was sad we never got to find out if they actually like if that tractor runs or not. Uh, it's in the same spot when we see it later, so who could say? Yeah. I mean, it would have been funny if we'll, we'll address it later. <laughs> we'll get to that later. <laughs> put um, a pin on that. Yeah, put a pin in that tractor. <laughs> so, uh, but we, we keep moving along and, and, you know, we get a sense that, okay, there's another person who was running away from the Rattlers. So it seems like they're slavers of some kind. And, um, you know, they've, they've obviously got, you know, people that are working for them and stuff, but anyone who also turns on them, they kind of just turn them into infected and then use them as security for the base. Uh, so that's nasty. That's that's not nice, but I. So maybe this is now the time to address this. I just could not care about the whatever plot section, whatever they had with the Rattlers. I mm, it it just kind of felt like it was like, hey, 
there here's another shitty gang that does shitty things to people and and this will be the the reason why you do some combat in this area and stuff and i just i maybe it was Mm -hmm. because i was just kind of done with the combat of this game at this point not that it was bad it was just like i was ready to you know see the narrative conclusion yeah yeah and instead it was like what if we did more combat arenas and there's some cool ideas like shooting the chains of the infected to let them loose and mm. Ken got to watch me miss that chain somehow, even mm. though I swear to God I was hitting that thing. Um, but apparently it's not the right angle or whatever. Uh, and then some goofy Benny Hill shit happened after that. That was really fun. But uh, like, I, I was just at a point where I was like, I don't like, here's, here's the difference for me. Like in last of us part one, you know, the, there aren't really like, factions per se there's just like a bunch of different thugs and like you know ne'er do wells they're all kind of doing their own thing and they they want your supplies and stuff so they're going to attack you and take it and you do have like kind of groups of people but you don't have them in the sense that like last of us part two has the seraphites and Mm -hmm. the wlf Mm -hmm. and you spend a lot of time getting to know how these factions operate the good that they do and the bad that they do how people feel about each one of them and so to have this like suddenly like here's the rattlers they do bad stuff to bad people it felt it felt walking dead to me. It, it felt mm-hmm. like they, they were mm-hmm. just like, well, we need a new villain for the season. Yeah. So here's the villain for the season. And I, yeah. it, it, it was the most, you know, it, it was the most that this game has managed to be like, we needed a plot reason for this stuff to play out the way we wanted it to play out. And, and in a game that is otherwise like extremely well crafted and like honed in and stuff, this was the point where I was like, "Oh, come on!" Like, <laughs> yeah, I think there's like something to be said about them trying to like put put a force in place that will keep Abby stationary while Ellie is yeah. like on her way. I think yeah. that's one thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is like a very kind of like video gamey thing. Just like we need the, we need faction to make combat happen. Um, and it, I mean, granted, I, I will say like I I agree with that, but I also like kind of like. That like it just feels like I put in the notes like the dirtiest, nastiest like combat of this game because we're playing as Ellie again, who has this loadout that is it very much feels like somebody scrambling to like make something that is combat worthy. Again, it's like mm-hmm. this like just the nastiest, grossest like version of like, like human combat in this game, and like it's not like I mean there's some grass to like hide into, like, but like, it's not really naturey. It's just like it feels kind of like very I don't know, like just it. It feels gross in a way that I find compelling mm-hmm. in, in a way that like not gross in like a gory way, but just like in like the tone of like the setting that you're in, you know, and again, like in Santa Barbara, which was, you know, beautiful for the first half of the section, um, just to like find this like really gross, like all the moral ambiguity of any of the violence gone, just like totally worth it. Like just, I, I appreciate that. Like it at least felt different. It did not, it, like, it was, it was, you know, more for more sake, but, like, they, did, I, I did feel like they went another way to make this segment and this, um, faction feel distinct in a way that mm-hmm. just at least kept it from feeling stale to me. Same. Like, I'd, I, I don't know exactly how I feel about this overall, especially because, like, I, I finished this game under, like, within two days like less mm. than two days because mm-hmm. like i got it close to the embargo so like i was like delirious at this point i swear to god because i had barely slept um but like i i definitely think if nothing else like 
the structure and the way this is executed works in the favor of the narrative because I'm like, God, I'm just so fucking desperate to get through mm-hmm. this shit. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad they have the silent SMG that sort of speeds combat up mm-hmm. a little bit. Like up until now, you've you've been this cautious version of Ali. That's like her style, but now you got this through the gameplay and the tools given to you and just like the pacing of this which i'm i'm not sure if they did this intentionally or not but just it really captures the desperation and the frenziness mm-hmm. that ellie is experiencing yep. like ellie doesn't really care about being careful anymore she doesn't care about being methodical or like, using her bow and using all that she's learned like she just cares about cutting through all these people so that she Mm -hmm. could get to the person that she wants to actually kill everyone else is just background noise so like i at least i I think it does a good job whether intentionally or not of really communicating what it is like to be ellie in this position because that is a difficult thing to make someone feel especially when you as a player likely disagree with what ellie is doing right now like you're like in some fashion or another, right now, you're like, oh, shit, there's still more. Right. There's even more about this game. Like, even as someone who didn't want the game to end, I'm like, oh, shit, there's more. Mm. And so, like, while well, Ellie's, you know, leaving Dina, you're like, oh, shit, you're going to do this. You're, you're going to do more of this. And so it's like, it just really captures, I think, just how Ellie feels both mechanically, tonally, in terms of the narrative. Like, it, it's it's well done. I'm not sure if it was intentional or not, but if it was, good on them. Because, like, I really felt the desperation to yeah, finish this. desperation is like, it, there's like a weary desperation to it, I think, is yeah. how it feels to me. And that that's yeah. going to extend, if, that's going to be very apparent uh, after we get through all the Rattlers and we get through something else. But, yeah, that, yeah I, I agree. I think that, that was kind of where I felt on it as well. I also yeah. feel like there are more enemies here than in any yeah. other area in the game, which is, like, it's a little, I guess, ironic, because it's, like, all of these, like, I don't fucking care. Like, I'm just going to kill all these mm. benches because, like, I need to get to Abby as Ellie. And it's it's kind of funny how that works. Just yeah. I, I almost feel like it's intentional that there's so many enemies. Mm-hmm. But, like, Ellie's not thinking about that. Ellie doesn't care. Like, this is all just... A numbers thing right. until she gets to where she. It's white noise until she gets to where she actually. Yeah. I, I almost feel like maybe if this was not a whole like oh you know there's a bunch of combat situations and stuff but it was just like ponytail rattler and then the one big one that you do with the chained infected and all that and it was just that in this section mm-hmm. I maybe would have been a little bit more on board with it but it just really felt like a drag. Well, yeah, yeah, what with giving you the new gun and stuff like that, I was just like, come on, like, are we really, like, this is <laughs> end game, like, let's get, let's get to it already. Um, right. Yeah. I would keep the ponytail, though. <laughs> <laughs> that one's, that one, I think, embodies the, like, oh, dude, you think you're important in this story? Nah. <laughs> like, this ain't your story. Um, so after we, we get through the, the big old fortress and finally we get down to where they're keeping a bunch of these prisoners and stuff. Um, we, we release a bunch of them, uh, after we do a little bit more murder (laughs) and, um, which is actually, I like this part too, because we like fight the guard and, and in the process of fighting her, 
end up kicking her into the bars and the prisoners like grab her and, mm. and murder the guard and get the keys from her body. And I was like, hell yeah, Praxis, baby. You, you go prisoners. <laughs> like I was fan of them. Let's do another like point of view jump cut. And I want to <laughs> place one of them now. <laughs> Cause afterwards you like hear them running out into the fortress, like all these bullets and them like cheering and stuff. And I'm like, damn, you know, good for them. You know, Ellie's Good gonna friend. go get some closure, but I, can I go get in on that a little bit? Like, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a good time. Um, but uh, they, we have a bit of a standoff here because um, Ellie is asking, like, where's Abby at? And then one of them is like, oh my God, she's been bitten. And this is the part where I was maybe like, why are they all freaking out so much? Because, like, yes, you know, Ellie has been bitten and obviously they do not know that she is immune and stuff, but it's not like being a person that has a bite is going to make that person shoot you or anything. And Ellie is forming coherent words and just murdered a bunch of people and stuff. So it's not like she's about to turn or anything like that. And at least one person in this group, you know, the, the one who kind of steps up is like, Hey, everybody chill out. Like, yeah, She's just head down to the anyways. beach. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like head down to the beach. Abby's on the pillars, as they call them. Uh, I don't know if this is like a trademark issue or why, or they just didn't want to like go the full run on this, but we'll get to that in a second. And uh, they they were, uh, she's probably already dead. And they're just like, peace, we're going to go murder all the people who were enslaving us. You have fun with what you find down there. It's not going to be great. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I thought and that was weird. Their voice, like, in fact, it wasn't great. Yeah, well, I just thought that part was weird. Where they're like, "She's been know. bitten." I, I, I think I was like, like what? a bite is like immediate, like danger mode for anybody in this world. So I just, I guess. For me, it was the fact that she looks clapped as hell. Mm. Like she is bloody oh, all yeah. over. She has this huge wound. Like those people are not seeing this go. They are very malnourished, like starving and not taken care of and like mm. obviously okay. not clean but yeah. like they they probably see this like murderous lesbian walk in with her <laughs> entire body covered in blood and they're like y'all like should we just stay in here shit but they're like nah let's let's go <laughs> she's dead anyway yeah that was that was my thought is like that the one dude like clearly has the right thought he's just like yeah just go that way it's take a left like this we're gonna go do some murder now it's both you know thank you for freeing us and opening the gun locker we're gonna go do some murder now best of luck in whatever you have left of your life um yeah yeah uh so we we do a little bit of walk in here and uh we get down to the beach where we find the pillars which are kind of basically crucifixes. Like these yeah. are like people are, are just kind of tied up on these pillars um, and just left to rot essentially. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not great. Um, l- bad mm. time. And so uh, we, uh, we head down there and, uh, Ken was, uh, this was the part that I thought was really funny. So I walked immediately to the one that Abby was on and, and oh, Ken was like, forever. okay. So Ken was like, have you played this before? Have you seen this? And I was like, <laughs> no dude, I've like literally, I, I have heard like, so going into this, 
I knew that Ellie was going to go back to Santa Barbara and that Abby was going to be captured and Ellie was going to free Abby, but they were going to have like one last fight. I like that. That's how much I knew of the plot of the section going into it. And he was like, have you seen this before? You walked immediately to the one that Abby was on. And, and I was like, yeah, cause it was the one that the game wanted me to go to. It's like, standing singled out there's like a ray of even... light shining on it like <laughs> i didn't feel like i was like walking around and i was like oh shit they're hiding her from me where is this bench like, like they, it's they if you walk have... if you walk straight forward you get to it well no oh. she's like slightly to the left because like if you walk straight forward there is one that like it feels like a red herring because like there's somebody that's like hang, hanging their head down but there's a braid like abby had and like it's uh-huh. like oh that is clearly like they want me to think that's that's her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you turn around and see where she actually is. And it's like, no, all like the defining physical characteristics. And they're that we like, have known look at how gone. much she's changed. <sighs> yeah. Yep. I don't know. That felt. Eric, very... you were just you were just smart. No, it's just, just I've played too many smart. video games now where I'm like, yeah, that's the one that the game designer wants me to walk to. <laughs> where I'm I'm trying to make you feel better after the whole baby shit, and you're not taking it. No, so I if don't you're take not compliments. gonna take, take it. Don't just take fine. <laughs> no, no, I can't take compliments. I'm a known bad compliment taker. I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. Um, this section is also very uncomfortable. Yes. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. So this, this is the section that I also annoyed Ken by comparing it to Metal Gear Solid a lot. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> um, so we let Abby down. Um, and... Who again, like we didn't say, say like... Her hair has been cut. She's like, yeah. not, her body she's is gone. Like, kind of not wholly there. Like, she recognizes us a little bit, but like, she's real out of it. Um, again, we don't have like a sense of how long she's been at this place, but we can like intuit that it's been a while because obviously, like, her hair has changed and she's a little bit like she's not as swole as she was previously. She's probably a little bit malnourished and, um, yeah, it's oh. And even even then just immediately she's just the first thing that she says is love mm-hmm. and she goes to goes immediately for love. Yeah. yeah. Um and and that was a very very nice moment where like immediately goes for love, gets love up, uh takes love to some boats. She's immediately like there's some boats nearby, we can use those. Like Abby is so like on the you know, survival train, get out of here train that she's not even like fully consciously caring about why Ellie might be here. Right. And I think that maybe speaks to where Abby is at personally, that she's Mm -hmm. just like, are you serious? We're going to do this now. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and, and she straight up is like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this whole thing. Um, and that's when Ellie, pulls a blade on Lev and is like, uh, you know, implies like, Hey, I'm going to kill Lev if you don't stop me and stuff. And, ugh, God, Ellie, come on. How, how the mighty have fallen. Come on. Well, I mean, maybe I am just a very thirsty bisexual for <laughs> Ellie, but I will say she is not wrong in having said you made him a part of this. Mm-hmm. Cause like if Abby, if Abby wanted, she could have just infiltrated the theater in Seattle on her own without Lev being like, shooty shoot. But also Lev is why Dina is still alive. Mm. So like, like this isn't to say like Lev deserves, I'm just saying like, 
I, I get Ellie being like, oh, you made him a part of this, even though it's like, oh, fuck, Ellie. Uh, like, but if it was anyone in that boat, Ellie would have pulled a knife on them. That's Yeah, 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 for like, sure, exactly. Ellie was just looking for a pressure point. Like, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think Ellie was, like, specifically angry, or at least, like, that wasn't my reading no. of it. was like, but it, I think this is the moment where I, I think, again, about we talked about how, you know, when Abby goes and kills Joel, she takes mercy on Ellie and, mm-hmm. and Tommy and lets them leave. And then, you know, we have that whole standoff in the theater where Abby's like, I let you live and you like came to Seattle and you murdered all my friends and stuff. Like what the fuck did you think was going to happen? And like, this is the part where we maybe realize that, you know, Ellie and, and, you know, by extent, Tommy and and the rest of them, uh, they're, I like to see everyone involved as practically equally guilty where like you said abby she had a singular focus on joel she knew that he was the one at fault for Mm -hmm. what happened to her father and she she was the better the better murderer in saying like okay don't murder the other people he's around with or like that are important to him but ellie herself like this entire time she's like okay we gonna get owen we're gonna get mel we're gonna get leah for the we're gonna get this dude we're gonna get everyone on the way to getting abby and it just it really shows their their difference in focus and and philosophy for murder ellie does like try to take mercy on occasion and usually just ends up in situations where like oh you know Owen attacks her when she was probably not going to kill Owen and Mel if they just like told her where Abby was and I feel like Nora was kind of the same way where um at at least in the first section of of that hospital scene like Ellie's hand kind of gets forced a little bit um but yeah A for effort Ellie you you tried to (laughs) you tried to be merciful and Abby also like considers killing Dina for a hot minute too. And, but yeah. it was a moment where w- with the blade to Lev's throat and all that, where like they have just escaped terrible, horrible death. And both of them are bleeding and exhausted. And Ellie's still like, I will murder this, this person just to get you to fight me. <laughs> like that's, well, we did. Ugh. We we did kind of gloss over this, but there was a moment where it seemed like Ellie was about to just like leave and let it go, but like she feels like her wound and like kind of like starts to remember Joel again. Yeah. Like Joel. she like there's like a yeah. very brief like flash of like probably the mm-hmm. most um, intimate angle that we've seen Joel's body from in what, yes. Eddie's death. Oh and, yeah, yeah, we get all of it. Yeah, and so like I think that's just the thing is like she remembers like why she came here, like, why, not not even just, like, to avenge Joel, but, like, realize, oh, right, this is something that is affecting me mentally. Like, I have PTSD, and I need, this is what I feel I need to do to resolve this for myself. And I can't, mm-hmm. just because I feel weak right now, or maybe uh, this is not the, the same version of these people that I saw back in Seattle, where they were uh, well, I suppose. Um, I need, like, I, I need to finish this. This is still, like, that. that is her headspace at the, that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important context. Yeah. Yeah. Just going back to, like, the difference between what we want and what we need. Right. I think in that moment, Ali realized that she, a part of her didn't want to do this. Mm-hmm. A part of her, I'm sure, would have 
would have loved it so much more if she had it in her to stay with Dina and JJ and not hurt Abby. But that doesn't align with what she needed in that moment. Mm. And in that moment, she was just like, ah, shit, okay, yeah, I came here to do this. And I'm I'm going to do it even if I feel bad about it, like uh, even a little bit. Right. Um, so we get into our final fight here, which Ken tells me is apparently similar to a fight in Uncharted 4 that happens. Whereas to me, I was immediately thinking of the multiple times this happens in the Metal Gear Solid series. <laughs> so. I've never touched a Metal Gear Solid game, and I fleetingly watched Uncharted 4. So this, I guess I got the best of both worlds. The scene just like was totally brand new to me. And I was like, oh my god, this is so revolutionary. I have, I have two people now that I can tell them that if, if you like The Last of Us, you should play Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. You would enjoy that game very much. Mm. Uh, yeah maybe one maybe one day yeah yeah you don't need to play any of the other ones you can only play snake eater you oh only get, three you will okay. get a full and and fulfilling experience from just that game and it's also okay. about like dealing with grief and loss and uh trying to find meaning in a world that is apathetic about your continued existence uh it's it's very good i like that game a lot um, i'll keep that in mind then uh, but yeah, so we get into like a fist fight, uh, which is already kind of unfair and kind of brutal for Abby because Abby is just trying to fight with, uh, some less loaded guns than she had previously. <laughs> and, uh, Ellie has a knife and is just like slashing, slashing Abby. her. Like, Ooh, they just look mm. bad. They just look like. It was almost kind of brutal that Ellie was going for that instead of a stab, which might, you know, actually cause some real damage. Instead, it's just like gashes and mm -hmm. gashes. And get. And I feel like it's very evocative of like, it, as I was talking about in last episode, last week's episode, like these characters are just tearing pieces of each other out of each other, both like mm -hmm. figuratively and now quite literally. Mm -hmm. Um mm -hmm. And yeah, this just gets brutal and brutal. Um, you know, we fight back and forth a little bit. Eventually it comes to actual blows as the knife uh, goes into the water. Um, and uh, we, Ellie tries to drown Abby once. Um, and, and Abby, biter that she is, uh, straight up golems mm -hmm. <laughs> two of Ellie's fingers. Um, yeah, did not think that one through. And then Ellie kind of gets back into there uh, and uh, actually starts to drown Abby. Uh, and it's super brutal and super uncomfortable. And it's real bad. Um, and right as, like, it's really hitting the point where, like, I was sitting there and I was like, this has been going on a long time. This is a really long <laughs> sequence mm. of drowning someone in a video game. Um we get a flash of Joel in, uh, in in a place we have not seen yet, let's say. Uh, and uh, she gets off Abby and it's just like, go, just leave. Get out of here. Um, and Abby just gets up and goes. And that's it. They, they leave us. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's important to point out that Abby had like an opening there. If she oh, wanted absolutely to, she could have. If she wanted and to. Yeah. she didn't. Yeah. Again, Abby is the one who has moved on from all this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Abby's yeah. getting on that boat. Is like sometimes you just gotta teach him a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, the scene is 
it's one of my favorites ever. Um, I don't know if a scene, at least in a video game, has made me more uncomfortable. Not just mm. uh, on one level, it was violence. It was like seeing Ellie's fingers get bitten off. Um, it was like Ellie at one point before she loses the knife, she manages to. Uh, insert it in like part of Abby's chest, mm-hmm. and then Abby like takes it out. Yeah, and that's when she flapped out of her hand. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so the violence is uncomfortable, but there's also just like the fact that I really don't want to do this. Um, mm-hmm. I I grew to love Abby so so much. Mm-hmm. I. I I would say I'm I'm biased towards Ellie in the sense that like I want her to be my girlfriend, sure, <laughs> but like. Uh, once she like you know it gets better, but like, I in terms of like my favorite character in this game, I'm pretty sure it's Abby and just what she represents. And mm. on on one level, I was just looking at this fight and I was like, I have never seen this, at least in a video game. I have never seen two broken, traumatized, emotionally ugly women just battling it out so gruesomely mm-hmm. and so violently. That is not something that women are typically given the chance to do. And so I think the seed is revolutionary in a lot of ways. It's like we I, I've not seen this happen in a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's always just like this is a thing that men are allowed to do. And that's not to say that like violence is feminism or is like (laughs) feminist praxis or something it's just like there's a clear difference in what women and games are allowed to do versus what men what men are allowed to do and this is something that you really don't see given to women to to be allowed to have this is not a space that they inhabit so it's just Mm. it's so ugly and so vicious and there's so much trauma accumulated Mm. here um and so it's it's uncomfortable it is uh it is emotional it's like i i love abby dearly i don't want to kill her i also don't want to see ellie get killed Mm. but it's like you feel like especially after this whole entire game you know you're led to believe like there is only one way out of this someone has to die there's no way that we can um picture a better future and here is where i think the game really shows its cards in terms of how hopeful of a game it is because ellie decides she doesn't she doesn't let abby live because she feels bad for ellie i mean she feels bad for abby like this is something that she does for herself she does not do it because she has had an epiphany seeing Abby's drowning face and is like, hey, Lev's in that boat. Lev, if when he wakes up, he's going to be in the same position that I was when I lost Joel. And that's no Mm. fun. So let me not do that to Lev or to Abby. Like, she does this because she remembers Joel. She remembers the love that she has for him. And in that moment, she considers, how can I honor this person that is so important to me and also how can I honor myself and my future and she decides to let go Mm. um I think when we talk about this game we we tend to focus so much on the violence but the violence is is really an avenue Mm -hmm. and a vehicle for a much larger conversation about empathy about forgiveness about agency about 
letting go um mm. i wouldn't even say like the cycles of revenge but just like the cycles of grief like right. when do we decide mm-hmm. it's enough to have grieved a certain way when do we move on to the next stage and this this scene is just so it's so emotional and there's so little dialogue but the acting the music that just everything just combines to make mm-hmm. a scene that i will honestly never forget yeah. like this scene is revolutionary to me and yeah. every time that i watch it i am just as uncomfortable and emotionally distraught as the first time mm-hmm. yeah i had um i felt similarly because like there the, the two times that these two characters like come against each other like in the theater there was like a level of like shock and like almost like, like you're, you're uncomfortable in that situation because, like, you're playing as Abby, you're trying and mm-hmm. having to fight Ellie in a very brutal way, but the way it ends, like, there's almost, like, a, a sudden, like, relief that comes from that moment that I don't think mm-hmm. I even got with this one just because it was the moment that I felt like, oh, this is where one of them has to die, right? This is where this is going to happen. Yeah. And, um, and that, that, that was not helped by the fake spoiler that I saw. Um, and and also the fact that they originally they have said that they intended for Abby to die here yeah. like that was originally the ending and then they changed it and whoever was responsible for that uh, I'm sure it was you. a collaborative process but thank you because I honestly feel like the game would have fallen apart yeah. if Abby died and I wouldn't have bought into it yeah and that is something that is like because like I like I said like all, all things you said about like having that moment where she's like Ellie like let's go and like that is all totally up to her and it's for her and I, th- I think my original re- reading had been that like and, and to, to an extent I still think it is is like when she lost her fingers and like she thought of Joel playing the guitar she thought of a connection that she lost like a tangible connection that she lost to Joel mm-hmm. and, that, and then that's when, that's when she realized the futility of it all and that's when she's like this this was never going to accomplish what I wanted I'm, I'm going to let go from she's never going to bring him back yeah mm-hmm. and so that resolution to that is so paramount and so important, and we'll talk about it even more in a, in a minute, but, like, I don't see how anyone gets through this game and then gets to that point and thinks that the proper conclusion should have been that Abby died. Like, I just don't... Right. See, like, how is Ellie still relatable to you in a world where she goes through with it? And, because, like, it just... Because then that makes me want like, mm-hmm. well, then what the fuck was the point of this, all of this game? Like, what, what was the game trying to tell me? Is that when it gets to, like, oh, violence is bad? Because I think, like, again, that's, like, a very shallow, like, reading of these games that I think just is, like, largely perpetuated in the conversation around it, but we'll get into that later. Um, I'm just, like, this, like you said, it's, like, a hopeful ending. So, like, now both of these characters have chosen to let go, and now they can go anywhere. Like, like, their lives are no longer, like, caught up in the cycle that everyone has been telling them to let go of. And the future just seems brighter now. Even if it is, mm-hmm. like, it has to come to this moment. It's, like, this nasty, awful, dark fight between two very, like, two women that have gone through so much to get to this point. And, yeah, man, it's just, like, I, I think it ends kind of perfectly, to be honest. Like, with Ellie sitting there and, like with nothing and like she just has to kind of like realize where this has taken her and now she can go back home and see what's there right i think we there's two scenes that we still have to evaluate and in terms of like the ending and how we see it as hopeful but here like what you just said makes me think like i think some people for whom this didn't click um they come out of this being like 
well, what was the point? Like, right. she didn't kill Abby. She left Dina. She left JJ. She sacrificed everything to pursue Abby. And in the end, she doesn't kill her. It's honestly, I would have felt, I, I would have thought, what was the point if she actually killed Abby? Right. Not once did I think, what was the point of this right. by the end of the scene? Because it's like, she, Ellie needed this. Mm. Ellie needed to to reckon with the real consequences of potentially killing mm-hmm. Abby, um, of like realizing that she she had she could have sacrificed, you know, you can sacrifice the love of your life, you could sacrifice your baby, you could sacrifice the home that you've made, you could walk through God knows how much distance while practically being on the verge of death. And you can get to the person that you want to enact revenge upon and it's still not gonna bring joel back Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i think that for her sake she she needed to to experience all that and to see Mm -hmm. that that's just not gonna bring him back Mm -hmm. and that there are other ways to honor someone even in a world that is so full of death and that has so little consideration for life Mm -hmm. I mean, I so I could see a world in which this ends with Abby dying and the message kind of being that, like, you know, humans... I mean, that's a very, like, common story to do is, like, you know, humans mm-hmm. are always going to be caught in these cycles and if you don't... If you don't choose to be like Dina and break it, like, you're just going to be the next link in the chain and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then it probably would have ended with some sort of scene of, like, Lev you know, heading, you know, into Jackson or something like that. And that, that would have been like one way to take this story. Uh, And I agree that I don't think that would have really resonated with me because, you know, not only is that a story we've heard already, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, and it's already kind of the broader story of what's been happening in the last of us part two. But um, yeah, like, like this moment, I, I liked what Nat said, it's kind of what I came away from this uh, was, was like, I was thinking about snake eater because in this moment, like what does a death mean? And in snake eater, like that, the death that happens in the similar scene, like speaks to the broader themes of the game. And, you know, like talks about, you know, how large nations and, and patriotism doesn't care about who you are as a person. It just cares about what you can be as a symbol. And that has very little care for what your life actually meant. It just, you are more logs on the fire. Um, and that would have been like a similar message here is like, Hey, you know, everyone's life is, you know, transient in this post-apocalyptic world and everyone's going to keep killing each other because there's no cure and it's all blah and all that kind of stuff. But there is like, I've come around on the idea that there is some hope in this, at least in the sense that like people are able to set aside base desires for revenge and vengeance and work through their issues and, and try and overcome some of that stuff. And that's shown by Ellie finally reaching that point herself. And I do think it, what stands out here for me is like, and why I think she has this flashback, um, that that we're about to get into um is is that when people like violence is so often the thing that is happening in this world all the time so when someone has an option when someone has 
the agency to make a choice about that violence. Like that's mm-hmm. when they get to be who they are. Their hand is not forced mm-hmm. in the situation. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have the choice to walk away. They, and, and both characters, like, you know, can you mention that Abby doesn't kill Ellie here, even when Ellie mm-hmm. just gives up and is like, okay, just leave. And Abby doesn't turn around and choke Ellie out. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> She's just like, okay, I'm getting on the boat and leaving. And I think that's, that's like doubly profound. And then we get into Mm -hmm. a situation where we talk to a character where they chose to do a lot of violence, but it spoke to their convictions and it spoke to what they truly believe in. And here we got to see Ellie finally get a chance to really choose Mm -hmm. who she was going Mm -hmm. to be. And I think, it does suck that it ends up coming a little bit too late to fix some of her own problems. But this was also something that kind of needed to happen for Ellie Mm -hmm. one way or another was for her to have this catharsis somehow, Mm -hmm. even, you know, even if she does not fully like go all the way through with it, like she at least knows that if given the option, that's not the choice that she would make. And she's a different person than, than that. Um, Mm -hmm. So, but, but to talk more holistically, we'll need to talk about these last two scenes. So, um, we, we go back, um, to the house. We are, we are now back in the homestead, uh, and the plants are wilted. The sky's just a little bit less brighter. Um, everything's kind of bad and you kind of already know what's coming before you even get there. Uh, but you walk up into the house and it's pretty much cleared out. Like there's not a lot of stuff left in there. Um, and we walk through the rooms and it's empty and it's vacant until we get to the workshop where Dina has clearly left, uh, all of Ellie's stuff and it's all collected here. All the drawings, the art, uh, the records, and also the guitar and Ellie picks up the guitar and starts trying to strum through the chords of future days. But obviously uh, with the missing fingers on her left hand, she isn't quite able to play it properly. And Ellie kind of sighs and, and uh, goes into one last flashback where we see uh, Joel sitting on the porch fucking playing the guitar by the way i just real like damn joel <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like i know this is a very somber scene but god damn joel <laughs> um and uh he's he's drinking coffee because uh, he traded you know he's embarrassed as to how much he had to trade to get that coffee and that's also a big mood um <laughs> man i love i love last of us part two joel <laughs> um all around that's that's he's good that I aim for that to be my post-apocalyptic aesthetic is, is last of us part two, Joel, um, pre-apocalypse. You're, you're pretty, I'm working, I'm working. I went to the farmer's market today. I was very proud of that. So yeah, no, I'm working on it. Don't worry. Um, but, (laughs) um, Ellie confronts Joel and it's like, we had Seth under control. Like we could deal with it. Um, and then Joel's, God, poor Joel. He's just like, okay. It reminds me so much of like a dad who is dealing with 
a teenager and the teenager's like, these are my boundaries. You can't just, you have to knock on my door before you come in, dad. You can't just embarrass me in front of my friends. And like, he's just like, it's that sort of like, okay, you know, he's like, it's a mixture of him coming to terms with the fact that like both, you know, he overstepped a boundary a little bit and upset Ellie, but also that like Ellie is a person now and he's not, not, right. Does not need that like guardianship Mm -hmm. over her anymore. Um, Even if it is possibly a little appreciated if, even if Ellie is not recognizing that right now. (laughs) Um, Uh, and oh, he he asks about Dina. And, oh, I love that part. He's like, is, is she your girlfriend? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and um, oh, he, he Which, says he's so sweet about it. Where he's like, I don't know what that girl's intentions are, but I do know she would be lucky to have you. And I'm like, oh, which Joel. I felt like so much, so much about because like that had been like a tension through all of the uh, the flashbacks. Like she was trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to tell him if she should tell him because she's mm-hmm. still struggling with like clearly being different than people in Jackson and mm-hmm. that was something that like was something that I thought about a lot with that last flashback was like did they never get to have a conversation about that because it did not seem like they were going to because like even in flashbacks before like we were reading the journal and still like wondering which, whether they should talk about it and then seemingly they you know they there was the appearance that they had not spoken for like a long time after the hospital they, they, after they all after they'd gone back to Salt Lake City and I was just like, did they never have that conversation? Like, did they never get to, like... Did he never see her and Kat? That, that, it kind of seems like they didn't. Like, it seems like that, that relationship might have been uh, kind of like, I don't know. Like, like I got it wasn't that important to her, but I feel like someone would have been like, yo, your daughter a lesbian? Yeah, be like... like uh, yeah, probably. And then he has those moments where he, like, thinks that just because we're hanging out with Jesse means that we're interested, and that's, like... Probably, very dad. yeah, like very, very much like he just going over his head. So like maybe like even us being around Cat would not have like necessarily like turned the light bulb on. So hmm. yeah, it was just like yeah. a very sweet thing. And it's like, I love that like all of her like worries about maybe telling him were like totally unfounded because he's just like, I don't know what she, what her intentions are, but I know that she would be lucky to have you. And honestly, like, I don't like, I, this might be me reading the scene, but I feel like the mention of Dina in this the flashback that they are showing us before what comes next is significant to me. Like that's just read like something like mm-hmm. an important note to like end on and like have in Ellie's mind after this mm-hmm. flashback is over. I, I do like, there's an element of this. I like too. which again, like Joel is totally the dad in this conversation. And when, you know, when y'all were talking about that, like, Oh, it's, do you not know about cat and stuff? I was having flashbacks to when I was younger and my parents would be like, Oh, are you still dating? So-and-so I'd be like, no mom and dad. I just, <laughs> that was forever ago. We're through. I'm with, I'm with this person instead. And it was like, to me that felt like eons because I'd only been alive for like 14 years at that mm-hmm. point. But for someone who is much older than that, like, six months is not a long time. <laughs> and so to Joel, he was probably just, I'm, I'm picturing him like humming along, like just having a good time being like, Ooh, I wonder if I can trade for some coffee and just completely like it just going all the way over his head and not even noticing it. Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. Uh, love Joel. <laughs> mm. Um, but yeah, things, uh, things take a turn. Um, 
you know, they kind of start to rehash what we had in uh, the uh, hospital flashback. Where well, I mean, the, the the interesting thing is it's not even rehashing because like they didn't have a conversation about it. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's well, something to, that, like, as far as we know so yeah. far, they have not ever talked. We have not seen them talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that's maybe something I think it would have been interesting to get some idea of at some point, like, you know, how quickly did things just go to where they are that we see it, like the dance and stuff, you know, we, we see the, the moment, like the spark that causes their relationship to fall apart. And and then we see like the shambles of their relationship, but we don't really see like, you know, when they got back to Jackson, like what happens? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, just, I personally just had always figured that they just passed by each other in, in the town, just never spoke. Yeah. That was always my, yeah. my reading of it, at least. I did, I did wonder if Joel, do we get confirmation if Tommy knows about like, like if Tommy knows that, that Ellie knows or whatever? Uh, I don't think we got confirmation, but I, I can't imagine that Joel did not tell him. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, so this is, this is where Ellie, you know, let's loose with like, I was supposed to die in that hospital. My life would have mattered. And you took that from me. And then Joel, like shoots right back with, if somehow the Lord gave me another chance at that moment. And like, he pauses for a second where you think like, this is the moment where he might regret it or something. And he's just like, I would do it all over again. And he fucking delivers that mm-hmm. shit. Like he's just straight up like, he means that shit. Yeah. And in, in every like fully aware of all that that means. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I think this is the part where like, I wasn't, I'm a little bit like, I think the dance scene being at the beginning would have been fine and all that, but I'm glad that this happens here near the end mm-hmm. because I think it's just after all that we have been through after all the stuff, like not just Joel dying, but like all the fallout of it and all the pain that mm-hmm. it caused afterwards and all that, like him just saying like, I'd still do it. Yeah. It, it just hits a little double hard here. It recontextualizes the entire game. Cause mm-hmm. it's, you've gotten the impression that Ellie is doing all this because she is filled with regret over how things ended, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not regret that's fueling her violence and her desire to, avenge him it's more like she hasn't been able to mourn the loss of the potential Mm -hmm. that their relationship still had there were so many things in the future for them especially now that they had gotten on the same page so essentially like replaying the game it's it's a little there's a little a little shift in perspective at least for me when I rewatched it and replayed it it was just like oh i get it it's not that she feels bad about how things left it's that she was feeling hopeful for the things that were to come Mm -hmm. and she was robbed of that opportunity to realize those things and i think that's even more heartbreaking yeah especially again for a character that has had the things that she's wanted taken from her in so many different uh scenarios of her life that you know again like she was robbed of the ability to reconcile because like they in the, we haven't got to the end of the conversation, but like they, they do rec- not necessarily completely reconcile, but they leave on the hope that they might one day. And yeah. exactly. that, that distinction was always really important to me. It was that like she was starting to like, you know, take, on, take the situation 
on by herself and like come to terms with how she felt, but also like maybe start to move past it and like on her own terms. Like she'd had like a, roughly like a year or so of her life without Joel being like a constant presence in it, and she was finally getting to the point where she's like, okay, I think I'm ready to try again for our relationship to be um, what it was before. And so. I almost think it captures and embodies the game as a whole Mm -hmm. and its themes and messages really nicely because like again like it wasn't about hatred or regret or like trying to honor his memory because they left on such bad terms that now she feels compelled to to do all this for him it it, there was that little bit of hope at the end Mm -hmm. and hope is always inherently uncertain um because like we when you're hoping for something you don't know how something will turn out and so yeah like the the way that this game ends and what this game is really about to me is is hope and there's so much despair along the way but honestly like especially in a world as rife with tragedy and violence as this one like how do you communicate a real sense of hope without all that despair along the way. Like, I almost don't think... Like, it makes me think of games like Near Automata or The House in Fata Morgana. Mm-hmm. Like, these are games... Those These three narratives in particular, I would say, are some of the most hopeful narratives for me in games. And they would not have come out that way if there wasn't all this awful mm-hmm. despair along the way. Because, like... Hope is not meant to be a certainty. It's meant to be something, you know, a little tenuous, a little, you know, uncertain. That is the point of of hoping. And it just, their relationship ends on that. Okay, I'll I'll see you around. Yeah, I'd like that. Let's let's watch a movie tomorrow or something. And the, the game ends similarly, right? Like, as we continue on and she finishes thinking about that moment, like, she she realizes that she can't play this guitar like she used to. She's lost Mm -hmm. that connection to Joel on an emotional and physical level, but that doesn't mean that she, that it is completely gone or that she cannot like reform it and make it into something better for herself as she goes on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see that she, she leaves the house, she leaves the guitar behind and she walks into the woods and we don't know exactly what is in store for her but we have that little bit of hope and that is for a lot of human beings when we are at our lowest when we experience all that humanity has to offer especially the worst of it that little bit of hope is just enough for us to keep going Mm. and I think it just really sets up the game nicely for not just a future installment but also it, it really just wraps it up perfectly and really communicates like this was not about violence or hatred as much as it was about hope and love and the ways in which we facilitate those things mm-hmm. for the people that are still with us and the ones that are already gone yeah um one, yeah. Th- one thing i did want to touch on before we like completely move, move into the like the final scene in the flashback with where joel does like flatly say that he would do it all over again that was also like a very important thing coming off like like seven years of people kind of like having different viewpoints of the, the ending of part one where like some people had like maybe readings on it that were like Joel is a skeevy selfish bastard and that what he did was all trying to like replace his, his daughter where for him to say that like 
I've seen the fallout of what I've done, and I've seen that like it did ruin our relationship, and I've had to live without you for this past year, but your life is more important than our relationship to me. Like your your future, your ability to choose for yourself, um, even though even and the uh, with the decision that he made that was taking choice from her, just to, like her. It, it like it it had an element of selfishness, but it was not strictly selfishness. It was not all about him trying to replace his daughter. It was him trying to allow this person that he cared about to have a life where they got to choose their future again. And that just felt like a very because like I know there are some people that have had like readings of that like oh Joel just doesn't develop and thing. And I don't think that like the story was about Joel in like such a concrete way that he had to quote unquote develop. I think it was just he got to vocalize his intentions in a way that kind of, um, like, I I wrote about this actually on fanbite.com, where, like, Mm kind of, like, taking away interpretation of those characters' motivations, which was, you know, the the talking point of the end of that game, like, giving characters, like, in-text opinions on things kind of, like, shifts it around a little bit, like, it just makes this new, you know, conundrum to talk about, which is the end of part two, because I think it does ultimately... Whether whether the player agrees with it or not does kind of put Joel in a more sympathetic light, at least the ga- like in terms of the game's vision of him, um, mm-hmm. because it is like him saying like all your interpretations about me being just like a selfish fucking creep that wanted to project my dead daughter onto this new girl. It's like no, he did it out of love for her, and that I think is important, and I think it's just something that kind of just gets glossed over. I think in the conversation about this ending. Mm. I think in some cases I I can understand the desire to maybe not keep that interpretation alive, but to have Last of Us Part One's ending be be as ambiguous as it was when it first existed, just because I think it's really powerful in that way. Um because because it represents that like uncertainty of like even as, as connected as you are to someone, do you ever like truly know them or their intentions and stuff like that and it's two people like resolving to be with each other in spite of whatever misgivings they might have about their intentions in doing so and, and whether it was the right thing to do or not and all that. But I think what last of us part two really does for me is recontextualizes that decision in terms of, and, and I was really thinking about it when we were, when we were talking earlier, but like, Again, we have not talked much about the zombies in this game, have we? Right. <laughs> like we haven't we haven't mm-hmm. talked much about the cure in this game. Like the it, it comes up, but mostly in the sense of like should Ellie have died in that hospital or not? Not necessarily like oh, you know, there's still a zombie plague everywhere mm-hmm. and all that. Um and the world of the last of us is like, and we've been having a lot of these in games recently. So like, I, I will reference the one that makes me think the most about it, but that's Umaranki generation where the world is just falling to goddamn shambles around you. And like, it is a force that you cannot deal with. You cannot stop there. There is at least at this point, you know, after the ending of last of us part one, there is not an option to end it. Like the world you might be able to rebuild. You might be able to make places like Jackson and, or, or, you know, the, the football stadium and, and all that and, and live, but it will be a different world. And it's going to be one where people are going to fight and, and I mean, it's human condition and all that. So here, like the, the fact that that 
barely comes up in this game. Mm. And it's instead so much more about like what people choose to hold on to and what people choose to care about. And when people are able to let go of that desire to feed into that cycle of violence and instead try and hold on to the things that they have because they will only have them for so long. Like here we have Joel basically saying like, we're all probably going to fucking die. <laughs> like mm. that's, we live in a fucked up world. And I, I, I mean, even in this game, we, there's like a little bit of, Oh, we might be able to get a cure from Ellie. Um, you know, just, I, I feel like there was still some whiffling and some waffling about that, but um, even then, like the the world is broken, but Joel gets a chance to make a choice where he can keep this person alive and let them continue to have life and not be eaten up by this endless cycle of violence. And he chooses what he chooses. The same way that Ellie has this choice to perpetuate the cycle of violence, or you know, one of the few times that we are ever given this option to do this, let them go. And in that in that respect, I almost wish like that had been a segment that we get to choose. But I think there's also an argument of like, it's important that Ellie makes that choice and not the player and like keep that divide there. So, um, but overall, like I, I, I'm with y'all on team hopeful now. Um, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not, I'm not certain that I want Ellie to go and reconcile with, with Dina just yet. I, I feel like Ellie it has learned a lot about herself at this point and maybe needs to go learn who that new person is. Mm-hmm. And also like time needs to heal some wounds there, I think. Cause I think even if she did immediately go back and try to win Dina back, I'm not sure Dina would want to take her back right away. Um, but I, I like the idea that Ellie is walking away having not succumbed to the vices that she could have so easily succumbed to and that she has chosen to break this and that this, you know, literal chain of events that was started by the end of the last of us part one, uh, has finally ended here. And Ellie was the one who got to end it. And I think that's like, really, that's a good way to leave it off. And, you know, I, I have my own sort of things about this game, you know, in the ways that, I think it just gets a little bit too expansive at parts. And, um, you know, like I mentioned before, it has its issues with like, who is it putting its focus on to the detriment of its other characters and stuff like that. I think we talked a lot about that this week and, and last week with some of the, the, the Levin Yara stuff and all that, but it's ultimately like, (laughs) I don't want to turn this into, is it good or is it bad? I think (laughs) this is the kind of follow up that, makes sense for last of us part one it Mm. feels thematically correct it feels like the natural extension of the ending of the last of us part one and so i think even if there are people who are probably frustrated because it is divisive it is totally a divisive game (laughs) and uh but i honestly like think that just lives up to the last of us even more like that is that's Mm -hmm. it's a game that's supposed to leave you with this feeling of discomfort at the end because it's not this like happy ending, but you do get like a little glimmer of, Hey, at least like one good thing has come of all this. And maybe that means more good things could come in the future. So ultimately um, it was like, it's, it's a, 
it's good. I'm glad to have finally experienced this myself and played through it myself because I have a much different opinion of this series on the whole now than I did mm. coming into it. Yeah, and I think like speaking on like in terms of like a thematically appropriate follow up, I I feel like more so with part two. Like I I know that part three has been like there's an outline for it in Naughty Dog somewhere, and they're not yeah. making it at the moment. But like I part of me is like I like believing that maybe Ellie is going off to like maybe find Dean and JJ and just kind of like but I also like the idea of like now Ellie can go anywhere now that she is like mm-hmm. removed herself from this like there is I like that sort of ambiguous hope that there that the game is left on and I don't necessarily need that tied up in a third game because like like yeah just yeah. to me it was good enough like it felt like a very solid second act like a, a part two to the first game and that like it felt like just that game ended on ellie's uh agency in her in her own life being taken away and this is like her forgiving joel like leaving the guitar behind like in, in a very symbolic like, leaving the pain of everything that's happened behind and just now she can just find her own life and i don't know that i necessarily need to see that made into a third game but i know it's probably mm-hmm. coming and if nothing else i guess part two like feeling so um intertwined with part one and like in a very like understand itself kind of way um makes me less i don't know um worried about like a a part three kind of like shitting on it just like souring Mm. my vision of it because like that that was what i thought about part one like i was like oh that game was a sequel but then part two came and it really felt true to what the series had been putting forth so i guess we'll fucking see i guess that's kind of where i'm at um Hmm. That, at least that's where I met with Ellie. I don't know what happens next. I don't know who it focuses on. And that's a question for like Lev. six six to seven Lev. years from now. Make Lev the protagonist. <laughs> do it. Um, right. I, I, mean, I don't I do... want a third game. <laughs> Just unequivocally without reservations. Um, yeah. I wrote about uh, the way that I think the series could embrace motherhood mm. in, in a way mm. that I, I really think it should and it missed yep. a lot of opportunities to do so in part two. I wrote about that for bullet points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I do like that article and stand by it. I do think um, watching uh, two queer women wrestle with like their relationship after so much trauma and also how to mothers and how to be a mother in this kind of world specifically mm-hmm. I think that would be super interesting I I want to see love again I want to see Abby again um, I, I a part of me is like this wrapped up really perfectly I don't I don't know if there's a need for a third game but uh, that's what I thought with the first one. I thought mm. I didn't like the first one. I've made that very clear time and time again. But I did like the ending, and I thought it was a nice, you know, like story that stood well enough on its own with that first part. Um, where I deviate from what Ken just said in terms of like, I, I think part two not only subverted my expectations for a sequel, but it is so much better than what the series had posed for me mm-hmm. up until that point. Right. Um, I think it's so much more ambitious. It is so much more mature in its writing. It is so much more empathetic and interesting. And I think there are still, you know, and I'm sure like 
obviously it's capitalism like the society <laughs> so like we are gonna get a third part mm. even though they're like oh we don't know if we're gonna make a third part like y'all gonna make a third part we know mm. it that's how capitalism functions yeah, there's no like way an hbo series and, and like a right. rumored remake of right the first game. Like, it's like you're not letting go of the series <laughs> um so i i'm not worried about my prospects for like my personal satisfaction in terms of getting a third entry and mm. also like video games tend to you tend to get like a trilogy or you yeah. get like if you get if you go past a trilogy something that i've heard it's like you got like six games and then if you go past that like, you know so like it's all but guaranteed so mm. i'm not not hopeful about a, right. a next game but um i do think there's a lot that they could cover and if there's if it feels like there isn't much i would almost just like as someone who really loves this game i would almost challenge that notion and be like i don't think after at the end of part one i don't think you leave that game thinking there's so much Mm. left to be explored because like sure you could explore more about this world but the world isn't really the important thing the zombies aren't the important thing it's these characters and their intimate stories specifically um and they went above and beyond and did something that i think is really powerful really ambitious really wonderful and i I'm confident that they can do that for a third game as well, especially if Hallie Gross is still involved. Um, I think a large part of why I love this game so much is her influence on the writing. Mm. And yeah, I'm I'm really excited for a third part. I, I would really like it to come out like now, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to be like with children by the time that it comes out, but I'll still I'll still be in love with Ali, so it's okay. <laughs> can I can I pose a spicy take? Mm-hmm. To, to the Do it. Here? This is your podcast, if, Eric. No, it's, I share this podcast. Um, no, I know, but like it is your podcast and Ken, so if you were uh, going to do that anywhere... Well, I'm going to inflict violence on Ken, but it's... Oh, uh, no. No, it's... My, my spicy take is, is probably not all that spicy, but I would be really disappointed if part three's plot was like them trying to cure the zombie virus. Yeah, that would be gross. Like that would be like, and and again, this is like, that's all I've been thinking about, especially at the end of this game. So I was like, man, this is a zombie game that didn't really feel like it was about zombies at all. Uh, But it, I, I think to that end, like there's a relatable sense of just like, world is ending existential dread in this game that maybe hey i wonder what current events that have happened mm-hmm. in the last year and a half could have made me like relate to that a lot but um i think there's something that i like a lot about the series and how it finds it shows how relationships are so vital in those times of crisis and these you know those dire circumstances reveal what is you know important to us the most uh, at various times and i I like that about this series and I think it's also like a fresher take on you know the undead than we usually see usually like undead is just oh man zombies this is this is wacky they're just they come back to life and they they run in hordes and we got to shoot all of them like this is a pretty interesting route to use the zombies as more of an existential dread that forces people to really care about the things they care about and leads to these kinds of stories where people have to struggle with really deep emotional grief and 
and also connections and also like deep love. Like, it, you know, it's, I, I like that about the series and I would be really bummed if like last of us part three comes around and they're like, we found it a way for the cure. We have to get to this thing and then we can spread the cure across the continent. I'm like, that's boring. Mm. <laughs> like, can't we get more people in love who want to kill each other again? That'd be great. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Brad, that was not a spicy uh, take. That was just a good take. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the worst part is like I could totally see that being the plot of three two. And, well, they and also, I mean, bummer, they made but... such a hubbub about Jerry being the only person that could have done it. So I don't. Yeah. I don't know that, that yeah. that's like that works as a third game if they made a point to make that like a thing. Yeah, they they did kind of like intentionally write it in a way that was like oh, it's, but maybe they find some other cure like though the CDC's got something hidden away and we're gonna go find it like yeah. Uh, mm. That that but... sounds Walking Dead. That doesn't sound Last of Us to me. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Is I like desperately want this game to not become the series to not become The Walking Dead because it's so easy for it to fall into those pitfalls. Because mm-hmm. I really like the first season of The Walking Dead, and then it started doing that stuff, and I was like, oh, this is bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, other than that, I mean, I'd like to see more Abby and Lev. That'd be fun. We get this last little scene here where we go back to the main menu and we see the boat that was previously the boat that had been hanging out at Santa Barbara waiting for uh, Lev and Abby to, to hop in and, and sail off. And we've seen it on the multiple, on the main menu multiple times. Now it's at Catalina. They're at the island. They're at the Firefly Island. Ah, yay. Um, so that's a little bit of closure on their story, I guess. But I would like to see more of those characters too because I think that that was some interesting stuff and you could still explore a lot in that direction. But yeah, it's, I like these games. You, you got me, Ken. Good job. <laughs> Yay. Ken won. Yeah. Ken, Ken gets a point here. Now we got to get him to like Fallout New Vegas or oh, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater. Oh God. Sorry, Ken. Mm. Would, myself. I'm, t- I'm telling y'all Snake Eater. It's real good. I've been thinking a lot about that game recently. We'll take your word for it. You know what other game is really good? Final Fantasy X is an (laughs) excellent video game. And that is the next game we will be doing here on Normandy FM. Uh, Very excited for that. Nat, how we have not locked you down for for a 10 date yet or a 10-2. When when is that going to happen? I'm sure I will talk about it with Ken. I told him that <laughs> I can't do 10-2 because I, like, played the beginning and then I don't remember the middle and then I remember all the endings, so I don't feel like I would do it justice, but 10 is, like, my favorite Final Fantasy, sort of, along with 9, so, like... Oh, I was going to say it's not 14. You know, we'll put 14 up there. They're, they're all pretty tied there like 14 almost feels a little unfair to to evaluate alongside 9 and 10 because it's such an evolving narrative that it has like you know it's it just just not the same they're just so different so I almost feel unfair putting Mm -hmm. them on the same pedestal but like in terms of the single player ones 9 is the one that I think is the best and 10 is my favorite my like subjective personal favorite so like I might be back (laughs) <laughs> Y'all keep your eyes and ears peeled. Um, but even if I'm not back for any reason, uh, 10 is incredible. And y'all just keep picking really good games to <laughs> podcast about like shit. 
And we are also a reminder to those who might not have tuned in for our bio bit, we are moving to bi-weekly so that Ken and I can breathe between. (laughs) I am now concerned because I was thinking about it as we were podcasting. I was like, we were recalling details like Dina's parents where I was like, all right, when did we learn that? Oh, that was in like the first part of the game that I played like back in like March. Yeah. (laughs) Before (laughs) E3 happened and all that. I was like, oh, that's probably why I don't remember it. (laughs) My brain was like not useful information at this moment. (laughs) Launch it from the skull. Fill it with more Honestly, game trailers. I'm amazed and that y'all have kept up with this like weekly. Like that is no easy task, mm. even when you love a game, and especially yeah. with like, you know, Ken. Like not long ago, got promoted to full time over at mm-hmm. Fanboy. Mm. Eric, you were like on the job hunt, and now you're like full time at Destructoid. Like that is not easy to do, even when you're not having a whole ass full time job. So like. Mm-hmm. Props yeah. to y'all. You've done an amazing job covering <laughs> all these games so far, and you will continue to, but hopefully you have a little more room to just breathe. And sleep. And get more, get more guests on, too. Like mm-hmm. that, that was the other thing, is we run into issues where guests would be like, oh, we can't record this week because we had something come up. So we, I think in a few cases, we've had to scramble and get last-minute guests, and in other cases, we've uh, had to like do really weird recording hours to make a guest spot work and if we have two weeks worth of time that's like way easier to like handle mm-hmm. any things that come up uh or like sure. record way ahead of time and stuff like that it's, it's a lot easier to handle that so uh but we will be starting that so because that is a two-week gap that first episode will go live for the main feed the the patreon feed as it were i'm pulling up my schedule right now just so i make sure i get this 100 percent right um so August 4th will be the first episode of Final Fantasy X season here. But that'll do it for us for The Last of Us Part mm. 2 thing. Before any, we any go, we thoughts? do... Yeah, well, yeah. You want to do closing thoughts on Last of Us Part 2? Yeah, this is what, normally we do this where, like, we finish a, a series and then we have our, like, thought... closing thoughts about, like, just... I'm going to add a few things, just, like... When we started this, I wanted I said I wanted to figure out what what is the last of us is kind of like, what makes it mm-hmm. important in the scheme of the the grand scheme of the video games medium. And I think the reports like around a possible remake and how Sony is like trying to like pivot its entire fucking first party business model around yeah. the game has kind of put a cloud over that because like when we started like it, it still seemed like Last of Us had had like a pretty positive impact I think on Sony's storytelling across the, across the board. I think I think it had just like. Like, looking at, like, things like God of War from 2018. Like, that game has its own set of issues. But, like, I don't think that game gets made in the way it does if The Last of Us hadn't come before it. And, um... Hmm. I... So, like, I, I wonder what The Last of Us Legacy is going to be, uh, you know, maybe five, ten years from now. And that, that is something that's a little bit more into me. And I hope that Sony makes some other pivot that, like, kind of... Because, like, I feel like they're attaching a lot of the, uh, the prestige of The Last of Us specifically to the franchise of it instead of, like the things that it can influence and like that is just again we won't really know how that's going to turn out for a few years i don't think but um for now i, th- I think that the games are just like really fucking stellar and i think that how they are effective as a video game does not necessarily get talked about in the ways that i would like it to because it just tends to be like oh the cutscenes are good so, but that's what it is and i was like no i think like these games are using the video game medium to make people uncomfortable not in like its violence which again i think is like the shallowest possible fucking read you can have about these games and i think if you are approaching it from that angle you probably 
will take next to nothing from it. But um, in the gradual, like, like I think what, what actually they do well with the video game medium is that they're like, there's this gradual realization that these characters don't exist to be your avatars. And there's like a deliberately antagonistic way that these games tell stories that is creating tensions that can only exist with video games. That I think that is the thing that sticks out to me most as we have been going through this season. Um, mm-hmm. I have... Um, I have kind of complicated feelings about us having done this season because there were points where I think like, I think in terms of the episodes we have so far I like or not so far like the season is over what am I talking about um I think like collectively this has probably been my favorite season in terms of what the episodes we're putting out I just think that we had amazing guests on we had a lot of really rewarding discussion and I think it was just like really fucking mm-hmm. good um, absolutely but I Something you talked about, Eric, at the very beginning is like you kind of feel like Last of Us Part Two came and went. And I got to be like just and be me being like totally honest and upfront with everybody here. There were parts where like discussing specifically Part Two kind of like put me in a weird headspace of like remembering how miserable it was to talk about this game, like be online like in a public facing way talking about this game. And so like when you say like when people say that this game came and went, I think that just like this was a reminder of why it might seem that way to some people, just because like there was like I think pulling out of the conversation of, of some games is like a matter of safety for a lot of people. And I don't think that necessarily gets addressed like when a game's discourse ends. Is that like if something is so toxic that is why people even people that love it, like I do, um, might wanna distance themselves from it. And um I just like I I, I associate hmm, like, I think back on my review of this game a lot and how, like, I wrote about, like, wanting to kind of, like, internalize this game, like, put it, like, almost, like, bottle up and keep it for myself. And having to also remember, like, the toxicity that was around this game has kind of, like, muddied a lot of, like, the things that this game meant to me. Because, like, I, to me, this game was about the death of a father and grief and, like, letting go in your mm-hmm. own time. And I don't know that, like, it's short of, like, I don't know if I can just not write about the game, like, not being involved in it, that I could have preserved that for myself. And, you know, going through it again, sort of, like, not necessarily, like, live, but just, like, being reminded of a lot of those things was tough in a lot of these episodes. And mm-hmm. it's why I kind of, like, approach certain things that I did when we were talking about it. It's like, like, I need to, like, you know, clear space in this episode to talk about this thing because it was um, something that really I, like, attached to this game in a way that... I wish I didn't have to. Like, you know, it, it feels like a more recent Mass Effect 3 thing for me. I feel like it's going to take me a long time to kind of remove a lot of those things that happened around it from the game that it is. And, you know, maybe one day it'll just be that moment of Ellie leaving the guitar behind. And that can be, like, what I remember instead of, like, being online during this game's mm-hmm. era. So, yeah. I hope you all have really enjoyed the show. Because I have, in spite of everything I just said, like, I did, I am very, very happy with the episodes we put out. But... I want Last of Us Part Two to be what it was to me again, and it might just take some time for those scars to heal. I guess it's it's really tough, right? Because like I I have been thinking about that because like when when I said that back then, like you had kind of put that to me as well that you were like, well, that's because you know a lot of the discourse got so extremely toxic that even the people who loved it were were moving on because it wasn't worth it. And I I was thinking about this recently because I'm a weird sicko who likes to sometimes read the comments and replies under tweets from big brands. Mm. Uh, and that's not something anyone should do. Uh, you should probably just not follow brands in general. I recommend that. 
but uh block them even <laughs> it's, um every time i open a playstation tweet there is a 90 percent chance that there is something in those replies about the last of us part two from someone who calls themselves like a sony diehard uh, and, and this has changed a little bit since the new consoles came out and they found something new to like kind of pin everything around. But mm-hmm. like, I, this is going to speak to some much broader things in the games industry. Let's say this is going to become the games industry toxicity hour, but <laughs> um, like social media itself has kind of exacerbated the quote unquote console wars in a way that feels just constantly vehemently toxic. It And so like, it's so easy to do now too. It's Mm -hmm. so easy. Like it's so easy to make a burner account and harass someone with it or make a burner account to fling hateful shit just because you didn't like that a character died in a video game or, or you don't like that somebody else likes their Xbox more than a PlayStation or something like that, or, or likes their, you know, likes their PlayStation more than an Xbox. And so, it suddenly like it turns into issues like you know extremely transphobic stuff going around about characters in this game um extremely hateful stuff about this this game going around and and then like bile and shit being flung at at, at y'all too like who were writing just incredibly good coverage of this game like i remember messaging you back at the time ken like i was like damn you you were like owning the last of us part two (laughs) b like we have we have referenced the 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 one you wrote for Vampire in particular the uh that the queer experience is not a monolith am I getting mm-hmm. that headline right yeah um like that's like that article we're not just referencing it because Ken is on this podcast and we want to make him feel good about his writing <laughs> we do that because we want to make him feel good about his writing but that is that is a piece I think about all the damn time because it's just that good and it's it's such mm-hmm. an interesting and good takeaway from this game and it gets lost when you start digging into the bile and the toxicity and just the mud around this. And it's, it sucks that you want to have these conversations about these games. And like, I, I know Ken and I had, like we had talked before we started the season, we were like, there's a, there's a chance we might attract some people when we talk about this game who are going to like cause shit and all that. And at the end of the day, like that's never the right reason to not do something, but it's also like a reason why some people do distance themselves and, and, and create that level because you don't want to like keep touching the hot stove all day long. And it, it sucks because I think whatever your opinion is of this game, you know, whether you like it or don't like it, whether you think it works or didn't work, whether it's, whether you like last of us part one more part two better, I do think it at the very least is a game that merits good critical discussion. Like most well-made games do. I do think it is a game that is made well enough to merit good critical discussion. And it sucks that so much of it is just mired up. So yeah, I I do still feel like it did come and go. And now like, that's what I said at the front. And now at the end, I'm going to say, I feel like this game came and went and I'm really bummed it did because Mm -hmm. I feel like it deserved more than that. Um, and I hope that, you know, with all the last of us stuff coming out and a lot of it is super focused on the first game, which does kind of give me pause a little bit. Cause I'm like, you know, yeah, it's the first game. It's the one that everyone played and was like universally acclaimed and all that. But I'm hoping that doesn't mean there isn't any sort of like 
revisionism that's going to come back around this. Or if there is a revisionism, it's at least people kind of coming back around and being like, hey, I should have given part two a fair shake. Uh, mm. That would be nice. But um, it's, yeah, I, I, I think as a whole, as you said, Ken, like this has been between the last of us and the round tables that we did for mass effect. Like this has been some of my favorite content to put yeah. out that we've put out in the last like three months or so. It has been some of the best I think we've done ever. Yeah. It makes me really excited for final fantasy 10 moving forward. And, and like any other games we do after this, because I think we also just gained a lot in terms of getting good guests on and getting good discussion going. And I really felt like we had something going uh throughout a lot of this and mm-hmm. and it was like i think it was the game that we both needed because by end of jade empire like i was dragging a little <laughs> bit i was like man we should have picked a different game <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like i i'm glad this is that that we went on this adventure and i think it's opened up a lot of new possibilities for us and mm-hmm. i i have truly enjoyed the the journey so far with you ken it's <laughs> It's been invigorating. It's been exciting. It's been great. You ready to go fight God? Oh, dude, we're gonna we're gonna fight the church. It's gonna own. Oh, we're gonna fight God and Dad because Dad is God. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. Now I'm very excited to play Daddy Issues the game. It's it's gonna be great. <laughs> like we haven't had enough of that in this past season. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're not equipped for that at all. <laughs> um. Nat, did you have anything you wanted to add or No, I I wanted to allow you two to have the space to say all those really lovely and transparent things since this is your podcast. Um mm. I I don't know what else I could say besides like this game is super special to me. Mm. It uh mm-hmm. changed my life a little, it was very revolutionary for me. Um you know, I'm I'm thinking about all the queer girls who mm. will see this game and play it and have so much of an easier time coming to terms with their identity um, than I did when I was little. Because, mm. like, I I did not have this, like, big blockbuster game or, like, piece of media and my favorite medium that, like, mm. portrayed the person that I didn't know I was. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, Ken and I, we did a spoiler cast on the game, like, very early. Mm. Uh, we recorded it, like, I think before the release of the game. Yeah, I think we put it out um, the day before. They're just like, yeah, hey, come we back to this it, when, you're, when you're done. Yeah, mm. and we put it up uh, the moment the embargo went up, and that you can check over at Fanbyte. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like search up Last of Us spoiler cast in the search bar, you should be able to find it really quickly. I thought that was a great discussion. I like even cried about mm-hmm. it because I got emotional over the farmhouse and all of that represented. And I think it was just a beautiful sort of showcase of Ken and I and our feelings for this game back when those feelings weren't affected by mm. 
the dynamics of the outside world. Right. Um, but now, you know, after having this conversation, we're going, we're going to be ending this podcast like at the three hour mark, basically. Um, it's been a year since then. And this is my favorite discussion that I've had since that spoiler cast. Mm-hmm. Um, I love talking about this game with Ken. It's really important to us. Mm. And I think also to our friendship because yeah. we experienced like a lot of the same things. Mm. Um, and yeah, like this is what podcasts are for, right? To have those discussions and those intimate explorations that mm-hmm. we are not able to have on Twitter or in a single article or wow. even in a series of yeah. articles because like, as everyone in this room knows pretty well, you could put out like a series of articles on a thing, but you're perspective on a thing will be diluted to the most recent thing you have published that's Mm -hmm. just kind of the nature Mm -hmm. of being a journalist you are your last published piece Mm -hmm. um so having this conversation a three-hour conversation where you can talk about your complicated feelings and also just like change them on the fly because like like you said eric like now you're team hopeful (laughs) and that's not something that like you might have like come like I, w- I would not have thought know. I would come around to that last week. Like, yeah, like, last exactly. Week was saying, like, I that think doesn't happen. I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> exactly, that doesn't happen unless you've had like these continuous conversations and that someone has convinced you, or maybe mm-hmm. they've not even convinced you, but you just see it in a different light mm-hmm. and you see an additional layer, and your reading is much more enjoyable because of that. And you know, that's what podcasts are for, and that's what. Uh, particularly podcasts like yours are for where you just go really in depth into these things and explore all the complicated feelings and emotions and I'm really glad that uh, you know podcasts like this exist where we can do that and there is a safe space here very explicitly for Mm. complicated emotions Mm. Uh, you've had wonderful guests this season um last week's episode with riley was fantastic so glad we got um yeah and you know i can't wait to hear you talk about final fantasy 10 and i'm so happy that you let me come on to talk about the last of us part two twice Mm -hmm. uh two parts um so (laughs) yeah i'm i'm super happy to have talked about it with y'all so thank you this was wonderful my my back and my neck hurt but i'm happy yeah. <laughs> yeah no no i'm i'm at the i'm at the podcast soreness stage too so we're gonna wrap it up here by shouting out once again our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash where you can support us get into the backer discord get episodes early or at the highest tier get your name shouted out every week and this week that list includes kevin kulikowski chris johns alice hawk colin just colin just the wedge of destiny zach james and kevin hux thank you all so much for contributing we have already seen y'all's wonderful messages in the backer discord uh i woke up today to a really nice message from someone saying that they're very excited for the final fantasy 10 season and that was really nice so thank you and uh yeah we're excited to do it we've we've got plans in place for for guests already we are working out uh individual episodes and who's going to appear where uh, there's probably a high chance that the first episode will just be me and Ken so we can do kind of the, the groundwork laid out and all that um, as we've done in, in past seasons. But we have a lot to talk about with Final Fantasy X. Uh, and I also might be streaming some of it at some point because, again, I, 
I like this game so much that I want to like share it with other people. And we're finally playing a game where I'm not playing it for the first time, so I can like stream it and stuff. It's it'll be fun. Uh, you can watch me attempt the jet shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, the last time I did it, I nailed it first time, so I've, I'm feeling good about my chances this time around. That I Do won't an entire fail. episode on Blitzball. Yep. Oh, no, we, we got to break it down, you know. We, we got to go through all the different athletes and, and who's got what, you know, stats and all that. We're a sports podcast all of a sudden. Yeah, we're suddenly a sports <laughs> podcast. <laughs> oh, Lord. For Nat, for Ken, for myself, thank you all so much for tuning in to the wonderful season that was The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part 2 here on Normandy FM. And we will see you when August rolls around and we will be embarking off for Xanarkand in Final Fantasy X here on Normandy FM. (laughs) 